Hello, brother. What's going on, man? We're back for the people. This is a big one, too. That's what we do for <clears throat> For the people, man. For the people, by the people. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to be back here, guys, especially kind of what's uh, been going around. We had some bad news, uh, some big announcements from the country here recently, and, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping everybody... Uh, hoping everyone's safe, safe out there. It's yeah. pretty... Make sure you take care of yourself. Please don't be one of those people that hoard everything. You don't need a billion pounds of toilet paper, we promise. Yeah, uh, man, I got, <laughs> me and Josh got to <laughs> run to the bathroom, too. <laughs> yeah. So we're definitely going to um, give you guys something good here today. But uh, before we do, just, uh, just to give everyone a little bit of fun, we want to... Uh, Cheers a little, uh... Saying, I Corona! And what they tell us is a Corona a day keeps the virus away. Cheers! A little bit of malice and, uh... Botalis? Because <laughs> it's Spanish. Botalis is a bottle. Is that what that is? Mm -hmm. That doesn't even make any sense. Open up your darn... There you go. Finally opened Figure it. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah! Cheers, brother. Cheers. Malice in the chalice, baby. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Not yeah. a big fan of beer. Not a beer fan. You're not a big beer fan? I like Coronas, but... Uh, I like to be wined and dined uh, before I'm brought my uh, we, we, we give these guys wine every week, so <laughs> we're doing a little something different, switching it up. Especially, you know, with today, how big of an episode arc that we've got going on. And over the next two weeks, we've got... Uh, uh, some really big things just for season five, and uh, you know a little bit of Feast for Crows tapping into like a very small amount of a Dance with Dragons. So, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, this is probably going to be the biggest segment in this arc. It needs it though, man. So we've been talking about when we were watching season five, so many big things happen that uh, it kind of deserved it, man. This is that big one. Remember, we were talking about going up and down, up and down. Well, really, it just kept climbing up <laughs> the whole time, right? Uh, but before we get started, we'll just have a quick moment of silence for all those people out there. I know, you know, Italy, you guys are having a tough time. Of course, China and all the guys. And now, you know, it's starting to kind of creep up here and uh, yeah. where we're at in the United States. So. And there's a lot of uncertainty and confusion going on. So like we said, guys, do the best you can to keep yourself safe. Uh, be respectful of others. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll give you guys a moment of silence here, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Yeah, I mean, we know it's a, a serious deal. I mean, me and Josh, you know, we gotta, you got to make light of it a little bit because you got to have fun, Yeah. right? So we're about um, here at uh, the Ridiculous Patronus Crew. Ridiculous <laughs> Crew, baby, yeah. Malice in the Chalice. Malice in the Chalice, and let's, uh, let's just bow our heads, give us a quick moment of silence, and we'll give you guys what you're looking for. All right, so All right, where we where we kind of left off uh, last week it was it was uh, the end of season four and it was uh, you know uh, the really last thoughts that we kind of had with it Arya selling to Bravos uh, Tyrion escaping obviously from the trial Jamie and Lord Varys got him out of there he kills his father which is huge because Lord Tywin was up until this point was the main power in Westeros yeah, so you know you kind of got left like wondering what's going to happen to the Lannisters now that the one guy keeping it because remember guys Tywin was telling Cersei that they're broke right? right they don't have any sort of money they're buying borrowing all theirs from the Iron Bank so now you don't have any money like Lannisters are known for you have, your leader of your entire house is dead so we're kind of left scrambling what's going to happen 
So, uh, yeah, I think this is the first time, too, the Lannisters kind of got held in check. <sighs> yeah, I mean, seriously, through seasons one through four, they were the powerhouse of the series. Yeah. At the expense of all other houses, right? So, Which is funny, because if you think about it, like, the Lannisters this entire time, like, they'd kind of been high up on themselves. Like, I thought, you know, basically they couldn't even be touched. Like, Danny was off in Essos. They were like, you know, she's a little bit of a threat, but nothing's really coming around that. You know, of course, you have the Night's Watch. They're more like mercenaries. So, really, you just thought everything was kind of going the Lannisters' way. Well, Night's Watch kind of just spend for themselves at the Wall. But, uh, you know, they, it, you're right, though, in the fact that most... Everything was going their way, right? Everyone else had, a, had to do more than the Lannisters had to do to win the throne. Like, Stannis has to come from Dragonstone to try to take... Like, you know, especially what happens, he comes up this way, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Comes on down, like... And then, obviously, Renly's dead, Rob's dead, Balon Greyjoy just kind of, like, just trying to hold the little bit of hold he had on the North as it was when he took about Caelan and, and those little small areas. No, I mean, he never really <laughs> was, right? Yeah. So, you know, and Mance Raider, now he's, you know, he's a prisoner of Stannis after Castle Black. So, you know, the, the Lannisters really haven't had to worry about anything yet. And, and one thing I did want to mention real quick, kind of off-topic before we even jump into what we're doing today... I don't know if you guys have noticed yet, but we did get a little bit of new merchandise, so... Yeah, we, we did. show them the, uh, yeah, we did. the old shirts we got? We got the yeah. uh, ridiculous Patronus shirts. Let Josh that, be the uh, model there. Yeah, we know, we'll, we'll, we'll flash it off in, uh, for you guys, but... Um, it, Make sure you don't put it in the wash. Yeah, my stream. My stream, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's just it's something that like, things have been going really well here again. A lot of it has to do with you guys and the viewership that we've had, and, and so I just want to do a quick you know tip of the hat to you and uh, you know letting you know that because of you, things have been successful on our end, and uh, yeah, so yeah, we're in uh, Kuwait now and Guam, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, so keep expanding to other countries. Canada too, right? Yeah. Of course, we love our foundation here in the U.S. So thank you guys in Florida, Michigan, Georgia, Tennessee, California. You know, we those see all those ones. states. Yeah. So um, you know, and of course other countries, Singapore. Uh, so I mean, it's a lot of. Yeah, we really do take that into account, all those states and all those countries out there. Something that's important to us, we like to know where, where our viewership is coming from and how we can kind of help expand and like keep you guys interested too. But you know, I get a big part of that is giving you the content that you came here for. A little bit so, of malice in the chalice, baby. Malice in the chalice, go to Yeah, go gotta give the people what they want. Alrighty, so... Uh. Let's Tell start hard, man. Tell me no. Yeah, let's get, let's it going. get it going. Season five. A little bit of dilly dilly up in here. Episode one. You know what's interesting? You know how this kind of started in this like this season, but how it differs from the books is like you know the prophecy from the witch in the woods that Cersei like kind of forced her way into, right? Right. So Which, uh, just a quick little yeah. comparison to the book. So this book. Uh, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons that we're going to scam into a little bit. Um, you know, it was a, actually originally was intended by George as one big book. Um, and it was so huge that it split into two sections. That's why actually you'll see Feast for Crows really focuses a lot more on Essos, and you'll see Dance with Dragons actually focuses a little bit more on Westeros, which you'll say is ironic because at Dance with Dragons, you'd think that's more about Danny. But actually, it's a lot more about John and the others that do take place. So it, um, it's very interesting the way they did it. And i got to give Benninghoff and Wise credit here, because I thought, especially up to the point of Season 5, even into Season 6 a little bit, 
the way they put everything together was actually really amazing the way they showed it on screen. Yeah, and, and on top of that, they added some like some new flavor that actually did work and um, you know it you could you could see it. If you didn't read the books, you could you could kind of have an idea like, oh I could see how this would play out in the books too. So right. uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about what exactly that was that they added in that's not in the books here in, in a little bit, but to kind of jump back into, you know, the like the childhood prophecy, you know, Cersei you guys, we can kind of see, even as a young kid, she always had that arrogance, like, no one can touch me, like, I'm, I'm the queen bee, right? So, she goes into, like, this witch's, like, hut in the woods, and they're, like, the person she brought along is like, we shouldn't be here, we need to go back, and she's not hearing any of it. She's right. like, no, like, I, I'm Tywin Lannister's daughter, I can do whatever I want, right? So, she goes in there, and she wants her future told. Right. So to get her future told, you have to give a little bit of your blood. So she she pricks her finger or whatever, gives her some of the blood, and like the witch starts laughing a little bit because she sees like like how bad her future is gonna be when it comes to certain things. And so she says three questions you'll get. And so the three questions that Cersei asks in the TV series are, you know, will I marry the prince? And the witch answers, you will never marry the prince. And then, but uh, she said, "Well, she said, but you will be queen." She said, "I will be queen." She said, "Yes, for a time until a younger, more beautiful comes along, and endures everything that you, and, and, and uh, destroys everything you, endangers everything you hold dear." Right. So, what's interesting there is like, who is that younger queen that comes along and endangers everything that she holds dear? Is it Marjorie or is it Daenerys? You don't really know because she, like, this whole time she's had a conflict with Marjorie in the capital, like, they have, like, those little tiny, like, internal fights over her sons, Joffrey. Remember how Marjorie kind of, like, turned Joffrey a little bit more, like, kinder? Like, she kind of, kind of saw the nicer side of things when Marjorie came along, and yeah. she immediately tried to get into Tommen, like, when, like, he, she snuck into his bed and was, like, trying to, like, seduce him without really doing anything, right? So, is this prophecy referring to Marjorie and her conflict with Cersei, or is it referring to Daenerys when she comes to King's Landing to take everything away? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> or it could even be someone else, because she even says someone much prettier. So, I mean, Marjorie, I mean, don't get me wrong, she's a heartthrob, but... And then one thing, you know, you kind of wanted to go into was, you know, I always talk about the symbolism of three. <laughs> so it said, uh, you know, at first it had, you know, it talked about, I guess, three different people. She had three sons. So one was Joffrey, the other one was Tamin. And then the other one you were saying died at birth, right? Yeah, it was the one from season one that Cersei was mentioning to Lady Catelyn when Bran was like trying to sort of like fight for his life when he was like incapacitated in bed. Cersei came to Lady Catelyn and told her, you know, you know, Robert and I, our children, our one yeah. of our, our first child, um, you know, talked about how he died at birth, right? So that was her third son. Right. Meaning, you know, and that's... In the, see, but then the, the, the problem I have with that is because the next part of the um, the questions there, like, well, we have children, and, like, your children do not come from the king. But, like, one of the children did come from the king. If, if, the, if the three sons was, like, you know, if that really means that third son there, that one did come from the king, even though, like, it died at birth, it still came from Robert Baratheon. So yeah. it was interesting there. Like, I don't know if that's a plot hole... If they messed up there, if we're missing something that maybe hasn't been you know, disclosed yet in the books, and maybe they just fully missed it in the TV series, I'm not sure, because I know for sure they had a, a son that was uh, that Robert and Cersei had together that died um, very, very young at birth there, and then they had, obviously, Joffrey and then Tommen. So, 
I don't know, because she, yeah, obviously, even from then, you kind of had an idea that Cersei and Jamie were going to have the kids together. Like right. they were, were going to be those kids, so. Which, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, everyone's got to remember here, you know, George hasn't made Winds of Winter yet. So things were a little bit different in the books than they were in the show. Um, I actually thought the show did really well uh, in season five as portraying different things. But one thing that's a little bit different as far as the prophecy in the books, actually, uh, she does... So a little bit different in the books, actually, the girl that's with her that you don't take notice to a lot is Malera Heatherspoon. Uh, she's actually described a lot in the books, and it's a little bit more detailed. Um, but there's one part in actually the prophecy uh, where she says Valinagar, which actually is old Valyria for as far as it's a term for death. Um, and she actually predicts, she says, it's a term for death and little brother. So she says, Cersei and as far as Malyria Heatherspoon, she predicts will be killed by a little brother, which never ever turns. They never specify it towards anybody, but a lot of people predicted for a long time that would actually be Tyrion. Um, now, the problem is, of course, where we're at today. You know, you really don't know where that goes as far as, like, into Winds of Winter because it's not out yet. Um, but there is a lot of different differences, like, as far as even in the books, you know, um, as far as Catelyn, she actually comes back in the books is one thing that does happen. So Lady Stoneheart. Lady Stoneheart. There you go. So, But then, you know, so we kind of see, you know, Cersei and her prophecy. But one thing you don't really see either as far as in the books. So in the books, it's very clear uh, that it was more of, it was like a dream to Cersei in the books, like she was dreaming it. Whereas in the show, it's more of like she's just kind of thinking about it as they're traveling to, right. you know, where they're going, almost like a backflash. Yep. Whereas in the book, she's actually been envisioned with these nightmares over and over and over about the prophecy, which really makes sense because you can tell she's still really being haunted by Joffrey's death at this point. Because one thing we've always talked about was Cersei, she might be the biggest bitch in the world, but she really cares about her family. Her children specifically. Yeah. And, um, you know, the last kind of line here I thought was interesting, too, that she said, uh, you know, gold will be their crowns and gold will be their shrouds. So, meaning, like, they're all going to live royally, but they're all going to die young before you. Like, you're going to see them in their golden shrouds. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that, that's a way to set a tone for the next season. I just right. wish it came up more. Uh, in the TV show, because like you know, after that, it never was really mentioned again. That's kind of you know? one. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like empty prophecies that really, I, I at least in the TV series, that don't get answered, and that's one of the biggest ones too. Like that should have, you know, obviously we we have our speculations about who those kids were. Like you know, even even so, even in the the, the TV series, it doesn't mention like three boys and mentions three children, so you could have just assume and, you know, do the lazy way out and think that it's Marcella, Tom, and Joffrey, because those are three kids, but, you know, like you said, in the, in the books, it was, it was specifically boys, right? Right, it was yeah. specifically boys, and it still makes you kind of wonder, like, was that just for, like, an attention-getter? Because even, you know, in the books, actually, Malera, it t plays a significant part. You never hear about her. Oh, yeah, no, you see her, you see her as a child teenager in, like, for ten seconds, and she's never there. And that's again. it. 
Like, you don't hear about any history, even in other seasons. Yeah. Never hear about it. Nothing. No, that's kind of what bothered me about that girl in, um, in Cough back in season two, that the, the girl, lady in the mask, like, like she was mm-hmm. in the books that she played a couple different roles there. She came to Danny on the ship. Right. Or where, like, in, in the TV series, like, if you just talks to Jory, you'll never betray her again, right? Well, you'll find her with right. blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, so after that, you ne- like, she never came up again. So it just, it bothers yeah. me, like, you know, these things never get explained. But, you know, as we move on from that part, you know, Tywin is laid to rest. Now, Cersei kind of gives Jamie a hard time. Like, oh, you know, at least Tyrion killed him on purpose. He did it on accident. Like, he's like shaming right. Jamie. Like, where, you know, this is really crazy, too, because in the books, it's completely different. Jamie is so torn up on the inside. Now, I don't even know if you guys realize, in the, in the TV series, Jamie almost kind of, like, shrugs off the fact that Tyrion kills Tywin. Where, like, in the books, like, I mean, he did say to Bronn later on, like, well, if I, he, like, he killed my father. If I ever see him again, I'm going to split him in half. But, but uh, outside of that, like, one little line, it didn't bother him. But in, he, in the books, in Feast for Crows, he was, like, internally struggling because Tyrion also fake admitted to killing Joffrey to him. So, yeah, like, like, like you know, like, out of anger and spite, he told Jamie, yeah, I, I killed you. I killed your son. And, I, like, you know, and then your and Cersei was fucking uh, Kettleman Ozilbeck and then also, yeah. uh, you know, from Moonboy and Lance Lannister, for all I know. Like, like for all that could be true. So he knew for sure it was uh, Kettleback and Lancel that were um, being seduced by Cersei. But he just, he just threw in Moonboy, which is, is, is the crown fool. Uh, for those who don't know, just to like be disrespectful, but Jamie's taking it to heart. Like every, like he's standing vigil for his father's like, like body there, and all this is playing in his head over and over again. Where you don't get that sort of like mental torture or anguish in, in the TV series. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to your point. Like, hey, uh, so for those of y'all that kind of just jumped in on this episode earlier in the episode, Josh had a point. He thinks Jamie is suicidal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, how much anguish do you think he's in at this point? After all that's gone on, uh, I mean, finally, this is when you're really starting to see in this season here and in these books, Feast for Crows, and then we kind of touch on, you know, we start to dig into Dance with Dragons here. Huh. He, we probably won't get much into Dance with Dragons in probably two weeks, but yeah. So, but yeah. But, um... In terms of him being suicidal, like, the, it, you, you think about it, all the things that he's been through, right? So, he's been taken captured by the Starks. Right. After that, like, he's been a prisoner for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Then he goes, like, he's with the Brienne's, like, dragging him to King's Landing. I mean, even before this, I mean, I, I even kind of jumped into there. I mean, he killed the, his own king, who gave him the choice of, like, you know, either guy killed this king, or I gotta kill my own father. Right. Right? So, he's had, he already had to, like, you know, basically... Decide in that moment. Well, I'm going to be known as a man of dishonor from now on, while I kill my king because I don't want to bring in my father's head. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, you got that to deal with. Now everyone knows notices him as a man of honor. They all call him King Slayer behind his back, or, like to his face, like all this nonsense. Then he gets taken captive by the Starks, is held prisoner for over a year. Brienne takes him there. He gets captured by Bolton's men, loses a hand. Like barely survives that. Goes back to King's Landing. He can't hold the sword again. Which like like. Him being a warrior, we always mention, like, one of the biggest things to him as a person. 
Right? Yeah. So, like, now he can't even hold a sword properly. He's trying to learn how to fight with his left hand. Now, you know, he does the right thing by letting Tyrion free. And then now Tyrion kills his dad. Now he's sitting there like, dude, like, what happened in my life? Like, like yeah, you I mean, know, all that anguish is huge. It's kind of like that guy, you know... <clears throat> I hate to say this, but it's kind of like Antonio Brown. He was on top of the world. CT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. Like, you take that one guy that's completely on top of the world, and then you just break him down. And then to the point he's completely broken, and you're still kicking and stomping on him as he's laying on the ground trying to get up. Which is, but like in the same in the same aspect, like, do you like, hey, do you deserve this though for all the stuff that he's done? Like, he threw, you know, what's his face, Bran Stark, out the window. Like he was an arrogant, pompous person because his last name. And he was skilled with a sword, so he thought like his shit didn't stink. Like you know, he had this like aura of like I'm better than you and everyone else. And it's like, well, don't people love to see someone like that get knocked down on their ass? Like I yeah, don't know. Here's the thing, though, is you got to remember. Remember Jamie's story that he told how he became the Kingslayer. Right. It wasn't exactly what everyone thought. I mean, the king, you know, Aegon, uh, Danny's dad, the Mad King, gets Eris. Eris, sorry, Eris, yeah. Danny's dad threatened to kill his own father. So he didn't really... Told him to kill his own father. Yeah, told him to kill his own father. But at the same point in time, like, that doesn't (laughs) excuse your actions and, like, your bad behavior of how you treat everybody else, like, years after that. You know, because we, like, obviously we don't see in TV series, which I would love, I always talk about this, love to see Robert's Rebellion, but this, this takes place 15 years after Robert's Rebellion. Yeah. And he's still acting like an asshole. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, you know, like, this shit doesn't think he's better than you. Like, the way he, like, just carries himself... My name, last name's Lannister. I'm great with a sword. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm the guy. You know, you guys can all suck, suck one, right? Pretty much. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just like I mean, I gotta disagree just a little bit though, because you kind of see in season one and in Game of Thrones first book, right? Mm-hmm. You see Jamie's on this huge, huge arc. Like he's literally like the high school all star. He's the Edward Cullen <laughs> of King's Landing, literally. Like he's the badass. Everyone wants to be, every girl wants to be with him, he has all the money. And then you kind of start to see, like, the minute he got captured by Rob, way back in Clash of Kings in Season 2, you see him start on this downfall. And you kind of start to see, like, you know, with his little moment with Brienne that he had for a while, he's suddenly been, had to kick in his pride a little bit after he got his ass kicked a couple times. Yeah, I mean, like, he starts going through that stuff. I'm saying, like, all that... Who knows what he's done in the 15 years since Robert's Rebellion, like, how he's been, like... You know, we got we got a taste of where he was at before all those bad things happened to him. You've got to just, you know, by deductive reasoning, assume that between the time that he stabbed Kate Harris in the back to where we started Game of Thrones in those 15 years, he's just been, you know, <laughs> the worst kind of guy in that. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. Couple years of bad fortune, I don't think, is, is the worst thing for him. But no, a lot of bad things did happen. Um, you know that that that's that sucks. though. you know he was in such a mental anguish. Like he he probably internally struggled about whether he should let Tyrion free as it is. Then he did. Then how his father's dead, and like you know he like he was told that Cersei was you know hooking up with other guys on the side while he was right, captured. Yeah. You know like and then we're in the TV series. It doesn't really get into that at all. Um, yeah, it, that was just strictly really in the books. But, um, yeah, you know, and then ta- speaking of Tyrion, he lands in Pentos. Uh, Illyrio uh, Mopantis is, like, his palace there in Pentos, where Illyrio plays a bigger role in the books than he does in the TV series. You only see him in the first season, like, like you know, visually. 
but he he plays a really big role in the Targaryen kids' survival of Viserys and Daenerys. Like he played a big role in them surviving, and like he's the one that sold uh, Daenerys to Khal Drogo. Uh, he's the one that came to the King's Landing and like was in the secret dungeons with Barriss talking about like you know the wolf and the lion fighting and stuff about the you know, right. the king. And like I said, like they they end up at Illyrio uh, Mopanzas' place. Like Barriss and Tyrion get off get off there. So yeah, yeah. So then we're kind of going into you know a big moment that kind of happens for the whole one of the big enemies of this whole season, mm-hmm. right? So we kind of shoot over over to Essos. Yeah. And, you know, you have the Unsullied, who is going into a brothel, right? Which is interesting, right? Because yeah. you think about the Unsullied, they're, they're castrated. They've got, they, they really can't do anything in a brothel, right? And so, you know, I'll let you continue on, like, with what we kind of see them do and what happens afterwards. Yeah, so, I mean, of course you see, you know, the Unsullied goes into the brothel, and then before he wakes up, he's completely, his throat is slit, he's completely cut. Before even that, what I found was interesting is, like, the girl, like, the whore is trying to take off her clothes, and he's like, no, no, like, you put that on, like, no, it's okay. It's right. like, oh, sorry, for his head, like, like, all he really wanted to do, and I think this is important, like, he wanted to be held. Literally, he just wanted to be held, like, and, like, rubbing his head and sing to him. Like, they, like, they, that's what he was used. they were using the brothels for, which is so sad, like, if you think about it, because of what the Insulli'd have to go through, I think, in training, like, when they're captured as slaves to where they're kind of built to be unsullied, like, they, like everybody, they want to be loved and accepted, and so, like, they're paying this whore to, like, cuddle them yeah. and sing them on their head, and then, like you said, some treachery takes place. <laughs> some... Which, I found this to be really interesting, okay. right? Because here's why. It was completely different in the books. Okay. Um, so it still happens in the books, but, so in the show, as you know, then... They discover this happens, and they go to Danny and bring Danny the mask of the harpies. Yeah. So, in the book, well, in the show, you know, he goes to the brothel because it's almost like he's trying to develop feelings, almost like even though he's castrated, like he's still somewhat human. Yeah, emotionally connected, right. which is strange because in Solid, it's almost like they're not supposed to be that. They're supposed to be... Soulless people. Yeah. Like, they're soulless people, right? Like, even if you go into comparing what we talked about you know, last week and a couple of weeks ago, with Grey Worm, how you're starting to develop feelings for yeah, Masande, yeah. right? Well, in the books, because they're still soulless people, like, none of this happens that way. What actually happens in the books, so, <clears throat> of course, the guy's name, actually, for those of you who don't know, the guy's name that actually got killed was White Rat in the show. In the books, it's he actually takes a pretty prominent role. The guy is Stalwart Shield, is his name. So... Basically, he gets almost, like, ambushed, which is, like, another scene that we'll talk about later. Um, But it describes in the books, he's such a big warrior and soulless, uh, he takes down six of them with them, and they completely mass murder him. Like, it's a complete... Butchery? It's a complete massacre. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Like, yeah, just butcher him. Um, And then, actually, the body... is brought in front of the city and they lay it out for everyone else to see. So that's when Danny in the books <clears throat> completely is appalled. Like she can't believe it. Cause she's been against this whole thing from the get go. And which 
you know, we'll go into it in a minute and what her demands were. In the books, her demands were a little different. And what she does is she takes all the cupbearers from all the rich, um, all the rich sons, and then she demands blood money. And the blood money is demanded by her in the books. Whereas opposed, you know, you can go into a little bit her, her demands of the show after she discovers what's happened to White Rat in this season. I mean, in terms of, like, you're talking about, like, her demands for Yunkai and Asapor, or just demands for Marine, like, the city in, in general there? As far as, which, this might be jumping a little bit, but as far as we start going into, um, you know, like, the rich... Like, you're talking about, like, yeah, taking, like, all the, the heads of the houses and bringing before the yeah, chain the of dragons. Yeah, the heads of the houses, like, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that, that, that happens a little bit later on, and, um, but no, it's, it's super important because it is a key difference, and, um... It's funny because we, we see his daughter Dothlorak, uh, you know, he's, he remains stoic at the first part. And then and it, it's great. What, what the good thing about Danny and her progression as a character is she's always willing to make changes to her original, her original plan right. on the fly. When she thinks that there's another better option, she's not just stuck dead on that and she's going to make that happen at all costs. For like, for example, Stannis Baratheon, and we'll talk about this later on, like, even though everything was against him, he's like, no, I'm doing it this way, and that's it. Right, yeah. But, like, that's a big reason why certain people fail all the time. And Danny was so successful is because she's willing to make adjustments <clears throat> when she finds a better solution. Yeah. Here's a good question, right? Mm-hmm. This is something, you know, we wind up never seeing. Who would have won in an all-out war? Would it be Stannis, Stannis Baratheon, or would you take Daenerys Targaryen? If they had everything at their prime on both ends. That's a are we hard talking about? Fight, right? Are we talking about like when Dan, like Danny, as in season seven, Danny when she's got everybody? I'm talking like, Danny in season well, seven, okay, because Stannis and probably season. It's tough because I, I don't want to give too much away of what <clears throat> Danny gets, like you know right. how she has everybody. But if you talk about obviously her unsullied army, then the army she gathers later on, plus her three dragons. Because Stannis gets to, I mean, if you Stannis think is a, Stannis he's is an amazing military. Yeah, he's an amazing military commander, <clears throat> and he had a, a great plan for uh, not only um, Blackwater Bay when, before Tyrion kind of outsmarted him with the with the wildfire. He also had a pretty good plan for Winterfell too, if the weather didn't kind of turn on him, right? right? So, like, Stannis is a great military commander, and he's a great, excellent fighter himself. But at the end of the day. I really, I don't think Stannis, in an all-out battle between Daenerys and Stannis, I do think Daenerys would come out victorious. She's got three dragons, nothing from what Stannis had in his army at any point in time that we've seen at him at his highest peak, even after he took Renly's portion of the army from Renly, anyone was able to develop any sort of thing to stop these dragons. They've got three full-grown ones. On top of that, you've got 8,000 unsullied who don't feel pain against people who are just kind of like owing their like, allegiance to a king, not really fighting for anything other than, like, this person's name, where, like, everyone's so devoted to Danny. Everybody is. Unsullied, they, they owe Danny her, right. their freedom. Yeah. So they're fighting for a bigger cause, they've got better fighters, and she's got three dragons. I don't think it's close. But you're missing one key factor there, which I have to agree with you, because, you know, I always bend the knee. I've done that since <laughs> episode one. But you're forgetting Melisandre. Like, yeah, but like at the end of the with? day, like what did she do? What happened? What happened at Winterfell? She didn't do anything there. She yeah. predicted this was going to happen, and it was right, all good. Yeah. And then you know, 
Uh, Which like, really goes to a point, right? Like, how loyal is Melisandre? Not at all, clearly, because she like, She said, with, F you, man. Yeah, well, we'll go more about that, but yeah, 100%. You know? And it's very... You start wondering about the extent of her powers. It's like, this, do they diminish over the course of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire? Because remember how she drank that poison <clears throat> in Dragonstone? And it was completely fine. And that, like, the, the original uh, maester, like drink it and he like died right there like he was thinking yeah. about taking her out with him and like the it took him it took her right out yeah. so it took him right out and she drank the poison no problem but then like all this stuff later like she's you know we'll get into it more but i feel like they they props her up in the tv series to have a lot of supernatural abilities and like maybe be able to turn this tide especially with like what happened with renly and like the shadow um baby too um yeah, but I mean, it makes you wonder, like, what Melisandre's pow- like powers would go to. I mean, they all come from the Lord of Light, right? But remember, like, here's another part too, because like Solis, she comes to her like earlier with um. Josh has about- been laughing at me trying to get this cork off the mouth of the chalice. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna help her guy out here. But um, anyways, what remember like she goes to Solis and uh, well, Solis comes to her and she has all these potions and like. Kind of like trickery stuff. Um, off here. On there, right. So, but I mean, think about like how she could she take down a dragon with her magic? Like, I don't think, think about so. what There's she did a lot with Ripley, stuff. though. Yeah, I mean, it was a shadow baby, but like a, a shadow stab isn't really. Remember how she couldn't even like do it again? Like he asked her to make another song right. to do it again, and she's like, I can't. Like, well, you yeah. can see that your fires are low, but I think that was more <clears> an excuse on why she couldn't do it again. So, I think. She was much more limited than we were led on to believe uh, at the very beginning, but yeah, we kind of jumped over to her like real <laughs> right. But I think another part here we need to talk about is what's going on at Castle Black because Jon Snow plays a big role in the next two seasons, right? right. You know, like especially in the in the book too. Uh, so John, we we see John sparring with Ollie, and the reason I bring Ollie up is because we know. What happened to Ollie's village? The Wildlings took it over, massacred it. You know that. You know the um, the Magnar Then he actually killed Ollie's parents, but you know Tormund led the entire raid on the village. Uh, you know Ollie ended up shooting Egret uh, with the arrow at the battle for Castle Black. So Ollie has a really big hatred for the Wildlings, but he's right. also Jon Snow's steward. And Jon Snow, as we come, kind of ends up realizing, hey, we, we might need these people in the Wilding Army if we're going to survive, right? So, like, I think this is a, it was a, it was just like a, a visual foreshadow of them sparring, you know, in the, in the courtyard. So I thought that was very, very cool. And Stannis kind of summons Jon Snow and talks about just what we were talking about. Hey, you know what? I need you to get the Wildlings to fight for me. And John's like, dude, like, the Wildlings are never going to fight for you. You killed, you try to burn their leader alive without any mercy. Like, they're not going to fight for you. Right, yeah, and it um, it's kind of like this whole Obi Wan versus Anakin Skywalker thing. Like you kind of start to see, you know, John's training Ollie through this whole thing, and he really develops all almost like father type figure connection to Ollie. Yeah, seriously, and which we find out later, which we'll go into. Um, but I mean, Ollie like has always stood in opposition of John. John's always been about uniting the wildlings in peace and Ollie still has that sense of almost like a kid that grew up in a family that doesn't think 
I mean, I don't want to go into other things here, but almost like grew up into a family that doesn't want peace and always sided with his parents just because of thoughts. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but dude, like if if someone comes and massacres your entire family and village that you've known your whole entire life, you're not just going to be like, oh, you know what? I agree with it. Like, you know, it's a cool, it's a philosophical debate. It's like, listen, this is for the greater good, but you got to put all personal vendetta right. aside. And it's like, can you do that? So I think that, I think that was a really cool, like uh, visual thing that we saw. Like, Hey, this is what the ideal world would look like. Hey, you know what? You did me a wrong here, but just for everyone's survival, we're going to need your help versus, I don't care. I want you all to die because uh, you just you, you massacred right. my entire life as I knew it, right? Which so. I completely get it. Everyone forgets. I'm going to remind you of this quote that we talked about uh, either last episode or the episode before. Remember, he told Ollie to his face, uh, Megnar of Finn, that said, I'm <laughs> going to eat your dead mommy and your dead... I like to say poppy, <laughs> but it's papa. <laughs> I'm going to eat your dead mama. And your dead papa. Yeah. It's your dead mommy like, and like, your look, dead poppy. Literally in his face. Like, <laughs> grabbed his face and told him Like, how would like, you feel? You're not ever going to, like, forget that. And, like, it's hard to say that you would be able to forgive that. You know what I mean? So Why would you ever want peace with someone that literally ate your yeah. mom and dad in front of you? I'm talking ate everything. Like, ate legs, arms. Dude. Disgusting. I'm, I'm with you. So, it was just one of those, like, visual foreshadows of what ends up happening at the end of season five. Like, mm-hmm. so... Uh, while that's going on, um, you know, uh, Peter Baelish, he takes, he takes Sansa. Like, we don't really know where he's going, but you start to see, like, I, I had a, and I had a feeling like that's where they were going was, you know, for a marriage proposal. But it was interesting to see, like, I kind of want to, like, with, with Baelish and Sansa, was he... What did he really want from her? Because, you know, Baelish always does something for his own, his own, like, self, right? It's like, because, like, the thing is, like, he acted, like, both like a father and, like, a lover to her at the same time. He would kiss her, never try to bed her, but try to give her fatherly advice. Like, it was, but, yeah, but, like, it was weird, because, like, never once did he try to force himself on her that way. He wanted to get his smash on. It was so weird. He was that guy. But, like, and also, he was, like, talking about, like, how he only loved one woman, and that was his, his, her mother, like, it's such a, I, their dynamic was very, very interesting to me. Because it's like, I don't know what he actually wanted from her. Like, did, did he want to use her as a pawn because of her last name to take the North? That's what I think. I don't think it had anything to do with, like, the sexual shit. I think that, that stuff, I think, you know, he kissed her a couple times because, like, maybe, you know, he had, like, the passion, like, oh, she kind of looks like her mom, so let me give her a smooth. But I don't think he ever, like, wanted to, like, bed her or create a family with her. I don't know. I think he wanted to use her last name to take the North. Man, you actually drive a really good point uh, to think about that because... Everyone forgets. <laughs> Lord Baelish is such a dirty snake. Oh, he's a snake. This snake. whole thing, <laughs> yeah, man. This whole thing started because of him. Anyway, yes. Like you take him out of it. Who? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's things that happen, but you take him out of it. The. I guess. Does this even just, happen? No. Not, does this even happen? Not at all. If you think about it, like Ridley would be king, probably. At that point, I think like Ned Stark would still be protector of the realm until they found his proper heir. Because think about it: if Ned, if Baelish doesn't like pull that 
trickery on Nedek in the throne room, he probably could have gotten the golden cloaks, or at the very probably. least, would have left to Winterfell yeah. and never had to stay. Because remember, Baelish is the one that told him, hey, if you want to talk to the last person that saw John Aaron alive, like, do it now. So if he didn't go with with uh, Baelish to that brothel, him and Jamie Lannister would have never had that encounter. Right. Yeah. They could have just went right back to Winterfell. So, like, not, right. like, none of this really happens. Like, you know, they don't kill Robert, like, right away. Like, it, it, it's... It's so funny that the smallest things, the domino effect that it has. But no, I don't think that this is this shows up anything like the way it does if Baelish's character doesn't exist. Here's what I think, right? I think he is. You know who he is? He is like I told you in episode one. Uh, he is that guy that's going to be act like the friend that's put in the friend zone for the longest time. We'll go to the bed, bath, and beyond with you. But if the opportunity comes and you've had too much to drink and he's had too much to drink, he's probably not going to say no. <laughs> he also is the guy that wants to date the girl that the daddy daddy has a lot of money so he can go ahead and take that in after he marries you. But then he can also get his smash on if he has a trophy wife on the side. That's exactly what it is. So I think secretly, here's what I think, right? I think he knew Sansa daddy. Sansa's daddy, Eddard. <laughs> so Sir Eddard, also known as Ned Stark. Lord Eddard. Sorry. He wasn't a knight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lord king, Stark. Though, being hand of the king. That family had a lot of money, and I think he knew he could kind of connive and snake his way into the middle of things, um, but I think also he always kind of felt like, of course, because Sansa looks similar to, you know, Catelyn, that he could have like a, a reminisce of his high school crush. That's what I think, and I think he was wanting to get his smash on. I get dis- I disagree. <laughs> That's what I think. He was wanting to do the dirty. That's I, what he was I, wanting. I dirty bird. The aspect. Dirty bird. He had no <laughs> intention of like being involved in the Starks like house while Ned was still alive. It all came as an opportunity later on when he he found the ability to get Sansa away from the Lannisters during the Joffrey's, like, that's when it all started happening. Like, he, like, because he was able to be, he was placed into a high prominence by Tywin. So he didn't need to have Ned's money or Ned's title. Like, he had no interest in the Starks outside of, like, his affair that he wanted to have with Catelyn. It had nothing to do with Ned Stark or, like, their family. It had everything to do with, like, the, the, the Lannisters can do more for me than if I take the Stark side at this point in time. Think about it. He always talks about like, how chaos is a ladder. You know who climbs it. Like you know, he he's a cerebral thinker. Where a dude for me, and this is a debate I want to have. I think he's the smartest man in the. He, I think he's the smartest character in all of the books and in the TV series. I think that Peter Baelish is the smartest character. Where what do you think? You think Tyrion's the smartest character? Who do you think is the smartest? My mine is Peter Baelish for sure. So you bring up two big debates there, which is awesome. Uh, so this is almost like a two-part debate. So I'll answer the smartest character in just a second. As far as the other debate I want to ask is, because he's the smartest character, which this isn't in the books or and it's not in the season, it just makes you wonder. Do you think he knew that Joffrey wasn't the rightful heir and connived his way into it 
and that Eddard, also known as Ned Stark, was going to be executed. I think he. I don't think he knew that uh, Ned Stark was going to be executed. I think that because remember, like the whole plan was for Ned Stark to go to the Night's Watch to serve, like take the black. That was the whole plan. Like you, hey, listen, they're going to beg for mercy, Joffrey. You're going to uh, allow Ned Stark to go live uh, his life out on on the wall with his brother. You know, so that was the whole part of the mercy thing. And Joffrey went off script and took Ned Stark's head. So no, I think Peter Baelish, like he, more along the lines of. Instead of knowing that they were going to take, you know, he was going to execute Ned Stark, I think it was more like he knew that he had more to gain if he took the Lannisters' side on things during that. <laughs> I think he's a dirty bird. Oh, he's <laughs> a dirty bird. He's a dirty bird. You talk about a three-eyed raven, I'm thinking three-eyed dirty. He's absolutely the biggest snake of everyone, but I think he's the most intelligent. And he gets the most, like, you know, he, he gets a lot of what he wants. You think about, he didn't have, a, like, a, a house name. Like, like he ended up making his own sigil, like the hummingbird. Like, he had, like, <laughs> no mom and dad have any sort of prominence. He built himself up from, like, like nothing to the master of coin, to the lord of Harrenhal, to the lord of the Vale. Yeah. Like, this guy, he keeps, like, rising, and, like, he knew, he knew what he was doing. He took down Joffrey with Olenna's help. Like, they literally killed the king. Right, he, of course he knew that Joffrey wasn't the exact heir because right. remember what he said to Cersei? Like he was like he was kinda having that war of spar with words with her back in season two that uh, knowledge is power because like he knew that Cersei and, right. and, and then the Cersei did the whole demonstration of season, cut his throat. No, you're not I changed my mind. She's like, No, power is power. Right? So like he obviously knew he for sure knew that Joffrey wasn't the rightful heir, but I don't think that had anything to do it all was what's gonna serve me at this time best, and that's what he did. The Lannisters had to give me more to offer. They're going to give me Lord of Harrenhal if we can get this taken care of. Eddard Stark is too honorable. He's not going to give me personally anything, so I'm going to betray him. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree with I can't disagree with that. Um, you really drive, I mean, as far as if you talk about all characters, like if you're going to Maester Aemon and all Everybody, that sort of yeah. stuff. Tell me that. I want, I want to know what your, your top, like who do you think is the most intelligent character in all Game of Thrones? And, and give, me some, give me some evidence on why you think they are the most intelligent. You drive a really good, you drive a really good point. And the reason being is because if you really go back and think back through all the characters... So, like, I even try to think about, like, as far as, like, Maester Aemon and even, you know, Cersei's servant that puts the venom in the mountain. Um, Kyburn? Kyburn, yeah. Uh, so, Maester Aemon, Aemon, we'll get into this later. The, the Night's Watch. The Maester, Night's yeah. Watch. Maester Aemon, okay. which we'll talk about later. Uh, actually, a lot of people don't know, you know, he was in the line of Aegon Targaryen. He was a target. He, he, he mentioned it in, in the in the series. He talked about how he was in line to be king. He didn't go into depth about it. But right. He was telling Jon Snow, like, because Jon Snow, like, obviously, the big correlation there was, you know, he was from a, he was a house of prominence. Yeah. He was a Stark. Hey, I'm a Stark. I need to help fight for the Starks. And he's like, well, Jon, let me tell you about, you know, it's hard for me, too. And, like, let me tell you why. And so, like, we, we learned there that he was in line to be king, but we don't get a big whole right. picture or figure of how that's supposed to be. But, yeah, go ahead. Which, I mean, I did a lot of research and background knowledge on that, which we'll get into later in this, you know, these, ne these yeah. next, this segment here, these next coming shows as yeah. we dive into 
Beast for Crows and then start getting into Dance with Dragons about his background. But <clears throat> even that, I mean, as far as how smart he was, I mean, he actually became a dragon rider at the age of about 10 years old, which is pretty amazing, which... It's a was little that bit intelligence, yeah. But like, is that intelligence or because like your bloodline and like you know, I don't know. Well, that's what I was going to go into. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I mean, it was intelligence as far as like what he was taught with his royalty family. But um, honestly, I have to completely agree with you because I was debating whether or not varies. Because here's the thing: everyone counts out varies, but think about how he snuck Tyrion out. You know, all the little tiny secret things he does throughout this entire series. You gotta give Varys credit. He's a snake, too, which is really sad. As far as, like, who the two people we're debating, we don't really give a shit about. Well, I, I, I care about Varys a lot. <laughs> I, think, I think Lord Varys plays a huge role in, in, the, in the ways to come. But, um, yeah, go ahead. But, yeah, I mean, I, I gotta say that... Baelish, just the, some of the sick schemes he comes up with. Here's a, here's an idea. Genius. I got one for you. I got one that can compete. Okay. <laughs> As here's here's a very big debate. Okay. So prepare yourself. I'm ready. As far as the brainwashing and as far as cults and all this sort of thing goes, he's gonna tell me Ramsey Bolton. <laughs> my boy. It's Ramsey! Who is more not sick, but intellectual? Is it Ramsey or is it Lord Baelish? Because Ramsey broke down to a T Theon Greyjoy and made him call himself Reek because he's so good at brainwashing that in order for that, he literally actually gained the allies of the Iron Islands. Like, literally think about that. Like, he's so sick, which is sick, we're having to debate all the sick people <laughs> on the show. But Ramsey is so intellectual and smart. But he also kind of has the power piece because of who his daddy is. Who, what you, maybe you can argue Baelish because he really didn't come from ever, anything. Like, he had the Lord of the Veil, he had the Veil that he earned. But as far as Ramsey, as far as intellectual he is, well, you can still argue that, because he was a snow. Had nothing. So who would you say is more intellectual? Ramsey Snow, a.k.a. Ramsey Bolton, or would you argue Peter Baelish? I'd still go Peter Baelish, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Ramsey Bolton's very, very intelligent um, in, his, in his own right. He knew how to break somebody down, make him like, like, like legitimately a dog. Um, and on top of that, he's able to get information out of other people. He was able to take Mo Caitlin back. He was able to get information about, um, you know, Brandon Recon from Theon. But the thing is, like, he's always had to use, like, Theon. <laughs> like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, he, like, if they didn't come out of that, like, I mean, he was told to capture Theon. It wasn't something he did on his own accord. Like, like, Rob Stark, and then on behalf of, you know, Roose Bolton on behalf of Rob Stark was told to make sure that Theon was, was taken captive because Rob Stark was going to behead him. But then obviously, Rob Stark got. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever. But uh, like, like that's that's the thing is like outside of that, Baelish is like since season one has been there. Like he's always been that guy. Like very similar to Lord Barris in the shadows, but always super well informed. But like uh, to kind of take both out at once in the argument between Barris and Baelish and then Ramsey and Baelish, 
Remember when Baelish had that like interaction with Varys and kind of beat him at his own game? Varys is literally the master of whisperers. His entire job is to get secrets and know secrets of everybody. And Baelish showed him up and said, you know, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think I was, I've seen you more recently than you've seen me walking around with a foreign dignitary in, in, in Westeros. So what do you think the king would think about that? Like, like he literally, like, he shut Varys up with his own knowledge. Like, he, he, he sparred with uh, the Master Whisperers and won. And on top of that, like I said, with Ramsay Bolton, he's good at getting what he wants out of things. And, like, he, he doesn't always see the bigger picture, though, you know. Uh, one thing I thought was cool, and we'll talk about it later, is how he kind of helps uh, demolish, really, from the inside out, Stannis' army, you know, with the, just a few amount of people. Very, very intelligent. But, at the end of the day, he needs his father's resources. He needs, you know, the, the, the Prince of the Iron Islands to help him take Mo Kalen back by getting, like, you know, that meeting in the first place. He needs, you know, Theon to be captured and like him to have control over Theon in the first place to get to the fact that Ran and Recon are still alive. You know, so you take those away, you know, he's just a psychopath, right? So where Peter Baelish, this guy, he's supposed to be a master of coin, but he uses his his word like his um, abilities where he's the kind of like the head of the the whorehouse of, for one of better the brothel and King's <laughs> Landing. He uses, you know, his his women to get secrets out of the men that they pleasure, which is mainly insanely ingenious because, you know, when, you know, these men who've got nothing going on and they're just having sex with these beautiful women, they're going to tell them, with, you know, anything they want to know because, you know, they got their dick in their hands, right? Yeah. So, like, right, like right. straight up. And so on top of that, like, he really, his family's nothing of prominence. He had nobody. Bolton is a big name. They're one of the top lords in the North. You know, they're like the lords of the Dreadfort, which is a big, big thing, like outside of the Umbers and then the, um, uh, what's the other one? So the Umbers are what at the last hearth, and then there's the uh, Carstarks, yeah. So uh, that Carhold, yeah, there's Carhold, and had the Carstarks, and there's the Umbers at um, the last hearth. Outside of those two houses, the Boltons are like the, like, the third biggest house in, in there. And Baelish comes from no house, yeah, <laughs> zero house. I have to builds, agree with you. Builds it all the way up. Like I said, he he jumps between you know being a little boy infatuated with Catelyn, losing a duel to Bran Stark. Like like uh, Ned Stark's older brother, who was supposed to marry Catelyn, but ends up getting killed by uh, King Aerys. Uh, he goes from there to Master of Coin, then from Master of Coin to Lord of Harrenhal, then marries Liza Aaron to become Lord of the Vale, and then like you know how like he and he just plays everybody. He plays Cersei. He plays Bruce Bolton. He plays Sansa. He does. He's just so so intelligent. He's for sure. I think the smartest character in the series. Yeah, there was actually a guy on eBay like four years ago that bought a paperclip, sold it for a pencil, sold it for a pen, eventually worked his way up to a boombox, worked his way up to a computer. From a computer, then he bought, like, uh, I think it was a car, and then once he sold a number of cars, bought a piece of land. After he sold a piece of land, then bought a house. That's literally who piece That's of That's awesome. Peter Baelish is in the, uh, the million dollar paperclip. <laughs> yeah, million dollar paperclip, man. And I have to agree with you. I mean, as sick as he is, uh, Game of Thrones, the entire story wouldn't be the same without him. How smart is everybody? Yeah, so I have to agree with you on that completely, 100%. So awesome. that was a tough one too. It is. I had, I had, I had, I sit and think about that for a second, process it, because you know, I, I had, I was prepared for someone to say Tyrion, I was prepared for someone to say Varys, and like, I didn't think much about Ramsay, but uh, 
I still think Ramsey. <laughs> I still what think is <laughs> How about you shave my neck, Reek? <laughs> that <laughs> was crazy. We'll call you Reek. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, okay. So, uh, kind of diving into here. You know, you were saying John's training with Arlie. Well, well, well kind of like where Baelish took Sansa there, but after that, it kind of just back into King's Landing where Lancel, remember Lancel Lannister, guys? Right. Where he reappears. He, he talks to Cersei, like, and you see already, he's like, he's like, uh, got a shaved head. He's kind of, like, more built than he was before. He's, like, a little skinny, like, little tiny guy uh, in season one where he's, like, screwing around with Cersei. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he comes back and he, like, he, like, kind of, like, approaches her. And, like, talks about, like, oh, I've been saved by, like, the, the High Sparrow, like, you know, yeah. and, like, and I told them a lot of things about you. And then, in the books, it's completely different, because Lance Lannister, in the books, like, is still in love with Cersei, and wants to be with her, and Cersei has to cut him off at one point, he's like, he's like, like, I would, like my father wants me to marry um, another lady of, a, of high birth, but I'm in love with, and she cuts him off, House Lannister, yes, you love House Lannister, like, like, right, you know, yeah. so, yeah, so... It's, it's it's different there, um, but she confronts he confronts her in the in the TV series about the infidelity and the killing of Robert Baratheon, and you know from there we see Loras, the Knight of the Flowers, in bed with Oliver. Now Oliver yeah. is different than Ollie, guys. Oliver is the like the boy whore yeah, of the yeah. brothel, where Ollie is a little boy in, in <laughs> Castle Black. So completely different, right? Did you imagine? So, <laughs> like, I don't know, but we don't even talk about that. We don't say we don't we don't mention that. No, we don't mention we don't mention that on our show. So he comes back to bite Loras in the butt later on when we really start getting into the High Sparrow and. You know, how fast he takes control of things over in King's Landing, which was pretty yeah. crazy, given the fact that, you know, when Tywin was in power, like, you didn't even hear of this guy. Like, he didn't even exist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Cersei, like, obviously, she thinks that she's going to be just as prominent as Tywin, and she starts making mistakes quickly. And, you know, what also happens, too, when he's in there with Oliver, is that Marjorie walks in on them, which ends up biting Marjorie later on when she has to testify, which we'll get into a little bit, but... Yeah, I mean, and then from there, Chase, I'll let you kind of go into a little bit about, you know, them asking Daenerys to reopen the fighting pits over in Ukai and Essos. Yeah, this was pretty pretty big for uh, Danny because, as you know, Danny, she, she's fought for freedom this entire time, so it's very unorthodox, is the word I would say, to go against what she's always fought for. And, you know, at this point, she declined it. She told him no, and then that's exactly why... Like, this, this is the biggest, uh, that, I think that's the biggest issue, is, like, at this very first part, she declines where she would just accept this, because she ended up coming around on it anyways. We just talked about and gave her props on, once you, that she finds a better solution, she will normally just, you know, like, concede, hey, you know what, this is a better idea than my plan, let's do it. And they were all telling him, Darian Harris was telling her, you should open the fighting pits. Like, the, the, his daughter, the Lockrock, was telling him, you should open the fighting pits. The slaves would tell him to open up the, the fighting pits, and she was keep, like, she kept refusing. Yeah. So she is, at, in, like, impartial at fault for the, you know, some of the bad things that happened later on before she, you know, finally comes around on it. Yeah, and I will say, um, so if it wasn't for Darian Harris, she probably wouldn't have done it. At this point, you know, she's kind of started to take a liking to Dario because he's become the badass champion. She knows he's earned Commander respect. of the Second Sons. Yeah. And, you know, that's something we're going to go into later is his yeah. ability to command. Mm -hmm. uh, he's another intellectual being. Like, you think, of course, the 
Dothraki and going into, you know, the Second Sons, you think they're all just military. They're really not. And it's amazing, uh, you know, his commanding ability and his intellectual. As far as even the politics side, like, if he didn't allow her to do this, you know, which I guess it wouldn't matter because it all winds up in chaos anyways. But we'll uh, talk about that in a minute. But one thing that happens right before this uh, with Danny is, first of all, no one's seen Drogon in a long time. She actually says, quote, unquote, no one has seen Drogon in weeks. I can't control him anymore. And she's starting to lose control of her dragons, which yeah. keep in mind, you know, remember her dragons are in captivity at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drogon, she hasn't seen. Um, but still, she, of course, still feels like she has that connection to her children. Um, so you kind of still see a sense of that uh, going on. But Dario, just like you said, says to reopen the fighting pits, which I do want to do a quick synopsis of Dario, since we're talking about him. Um, a lot of people don't really know his background, but like he was telling her, uh, so at the age of 12, you know, he was actually sold into the fighting pits uh, from his mother that was a whore, which he actually talks about in the show as a little bit. So he's kind of a little bit like Danny. Like, he has come up from basically nothing and worked his way. Ooh, I don't, that's a bad comparison, because Danny, Danny has a last name one of the biggest dynasties the world's ever known. Okay. <laughs> like, that's okay. a terrible comparison. <laughs> but, here's my point, though. She basically had nothing when she, she was when she was, yeah, when she was exiled, having to exiled, build herself right? back up. But, dude, she's so always had a last wrong name. As far as that. She's always had a last name. She's that she always had a last name. <laughs> okay, so even worse, Dario's yeah. come from yeah. really nothing. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. Mother was a whore. You can um, compare him to be a Baelish if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Danny's a wild oh, one. Man. But at the age of 16, it describes in the books he actually had his first fighting pits and uh, he had earned his maester so much money that he was basically like in Spartacus. Remember, I don't know if you've ever seen Gannicus in the show Spartacus, but he earns his freedom. But he was rewarded with so much, he basically could be... didn't have to ever do any of this shit. Uh, he could have been... You know, the richest slave gladiator ever. <laughs> like, he could have sat on the side, been the richest football player in the world. They would have said, you know what? We need you to fight this one fight all year. Like a, like literally, uh, who's Mike that Tyson? guy? Not a even Mike Tyson. One fight. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of even the other guy. The guy that fought Pacquiao. Mayweather. He uh, would literally, Mayweather. literally be Mayweather, man. That's funny. Like he could sit all fucking year, excuse my language, and fight this one guy <laughs> and make all this money, and that's all you do. You can do whatever you want. Uh, hang out with any girl he wanted to, go wherever he wanted to, but no, chose to still stay there. Uh, actually, it says, he chose to fight as a sellsword with the Second Sons, and he joined the Second Sons for a cause. Uh, he actually speaks Dothraki because he used to actually communicate as a liaison with the Dothraki, um, which, remember, the Dothraki really hated the Unsullied, which the Second Sons were kind of like right in between, yeah. kind of trying to keep the peace as mercenaries. Um, but another thing that people don't realize is if you look at his weapons, for how much he loves women, which is why I wish the original Dario... He fights with it with an Arak, which is yeah, a Dothraki the weapon. Arak, yeah. yeah, and Arak, at the end of the handle... A lot of people don't notice if you zoom in, and it talks about it a lot in the books. The handle is actually a naked woman. Because remember what he said before, he thinks the gods bless them with two things. 
he blessed them with women that want to be fucked. <laughs> and then the other quote there. So it, you know, um, yeah, he's have two talents, you know, killing men and pleasing women. Like that's like, that's just two killing talents. Killing men that want to be killed and <laughs> pleasing men who effing women that want to be us. So it's, you know, it's very interesting, his background, because people, speaking of intellectuality, that you were talking about, if that's even a word. I like <laughs> um, it. Intellectuality. Intellectuality. We're going to make it one. Yeah. <laughs> make it one. Malice in the chalice. That's right. Malice in the chalice. Got to fill up my glass. A little glass. Mmm. Mm. Oh, God. Malice in the chalice. Good stuff. Um, but you really don't think about Dario Harris's intellectual ability. No, you just think of him as a badass fighter. Right. Like, that's yeah. something that, you know, I, I do think it's a great point that you bring up is, is his ability to, you know, think on the fly and think about it. You know, not only is he a, a brilliant fighter, because remember when he had, like, the um, single combat with the champion of Marine, like, that guy was on a full horse. Like, anyone knows that as a foot soldier, you're at a huge disadvantage against cavalry, right? And cavalry is, you know, people on horseback. So right. he decided that he's like he's going to take that disadvantage because he thought he was his, his exact words were horses are dumber than men. She goes, well, how? She goes, he's like, why would I want a horse? Daenerys says horses are faster than men, and he says horses are dumber than men. So exactly, he he believed right. in his own intellect and his ability and his smart. Obviously, it worked out well for him. So yeah. you know, we knew from the get go he's a smart guy in, in, in terms of military. But then we start to kind of see you know how how great he is at commanding and leading. Later on, we'll go more into that. Right. Yeah. But at this point, you know, Danny, um, she reopens the fighting pits, of course, and she goes down to get Viserion and Rhaegal, and of course she can't go get them because she's like, easy, easy, because they've really, almost like a, almost like a puppy, right? If you leave it on the street and abandon it and then go back and try to get it, they no longer almost like trust her at this point, and Viserion and Rhaegal um, try biting her and burning her. Um, and then it kind of jumps at this point over into Man's Radar at that point. Yeah, so Man's Radar, uh, you know, basically John meets with him and tries to get him to uh, kneel and have the Wildlings fight for Stannis. And Man's Raider's just having none of it. He's like, listen, I mean, and it's not like an argument be between the two of them. Man's is very calm, very collected, telling him, like, I understand why you're here, but you have to understand it's not going to happen. You know, and, the, you know, John is trying to really given the magnitude of the situation, listen, like, you, you're all about protecting your people, like, why would you do this for pride? He's like, no, listen, it's not for pride, like, like, it's, it's super important not to give up, you know, what we believe in as a free people, you know, if we kneel to you, it's like everything that we've ever fought for our entire lives meant nothing, so no, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to kneel, like, and then what John said, I think this is like something monumental, like a great, um, a great line here that, kind of goes in between the two. It's like interaction back and forth. Um, I'm, uh, I'm good with that, brother. But, uh, so basically, he goes, John goes, I think you're making a big mistake. And Manstrader replies, the ability, no, the freedom to make my own mistakes is all I ever wanted, which is super, super powerful. It's like, like listen, like, like I'm choosing this, but guess what? I have the choice to choose it, and that's exactly what we fought for as a free people. Which I do have to say, this goes into, you know, when we argued back in Clash of Kings, who would make a great king? This is why I ranked Man's Raider so high, was all his thoughts and his... He really just wanted to bring peace to the to wild. To people, yeah. Is all he wanted, and... 
I really support his idea, which is why, you know, there shouldn't be just one guy that rules an entire kingdom that says what goes. Yeah, for the most part, there's not. They've got the small council who kind of advises and things of that nature. Think about it, like, of all the people that we've seen on the throne, like, they never really have they ever been at the small council meeting. Joffrey, like, was at the small council meeting maybe twice in the four years yeah. that he was king. Like, Tommen was never at a small council meeting. Like, it's just, it just never happens. So most of the things that are decided, like, the, the kings are told to be like, hey, this is what we decided, like, just say that you say it, and it's all good, right? right? Yeah. So, no, it's not really like that. You know, where Robert Baratheon, obviously being the other guy, he kind of said all things go. That's why the crown got in debt. They all, like, he never listened to his advisors. Like, hey, listen, we can't afford this. Like, ah, yeah, we can. Yeah. You have to listen to him, right? Where, you know, the, the children being king, it's it's a completely different thing. And, you know, to, keep, to stay on Man's Raider here, closing out episode one of season five, Stannis burns Man's Raider alive. And, you know, as he's burning, he's trying not to scream out because he said, I don't want the last thing that, you know, people hear is me, you know, screaming, you know, as I'm burning alive, right? Yeah. So, get, get, get the quote. Yeah, tell him the quote. Uh, so, the quote, you're sorry, not to interrupt. No, no, see, no, see you've um, got the quote, yeah. Yeah, Man's Raider uh, looks at John because, you know, John is trying to convince him, like, mm -hmm. hey, just talk to Stannis. Uh, and he says... I don't want people to remember me scorched and screaming, but it's better than betraying my people. 100%. And so, as he starts to almost start doing that screaming thing, John takes mercy on him in the TV series and puts an arrow through his heart to put him out of his misery, where you were mentioning in the book, it's a little bit different. It is a little bit different. Um, I do want to say, you know, when Mance refuses Neil, he did say one quote that was really cool. He said, I have a... You know, just like you said, he said, the freedom to make my mistakes is all I ever wanted. And that goes into as far as, you know, whether he was the smartest king, I don't think so. But as far as what's just and what's right, you always know that's what he thought. He had good for. values. He for sure had good values, and he believed in their purpose all the way from the beginning to the very, very end. Right. right. Which can you even say, which almost like you know, Ned Stark, like, that was his thing, like, he wasn't necessarily the best, but he always had good values, how he fought for his kids, I would say. And what's really interesting about that, too, you mentioned that, though, is it's almost because of his kids, he almost betrays his own honor and his own beliefs yeah. by lying and saying, hey, I, I, you know, I, I try to take the throne for myself, like, Joffrey's the one true king, because he right. he wanted, like, his daughters to be safe, because Varys kind of got in his head that, hey, you might not care about your life, and you can die, but, like, what's going to happen to your daughters? Which, like, ends up happening anyways, so he kind of, like, like screwed on and besmirched his honor for no reason, you know, you know, looking back on it. But uh, it's a very interesting comparison. But, now tell me a little bit different of how the, the books, you know, ended yeah. with that, that arrow to the heart. So, uh, first of all, in the books, a lot of people don't know, John was never, never actually went to see Stannis in the books and negotiate. Actually, uh, John wasn't even there at the execution in the books. Um, when Mance Raider dies in the books, uh, so what they actually do, he's actually hung in a wooden cage and put inside the cage, almost like a dog or something you would cook over a fire, right? Or like a pig or something, unfortunately. Um, so he's hanging over these wildling prisoners, um, and he's described as, instead of having the honor he has, um, of you know, just going down, like, this is how, I don't want to go down this way, but I will. He is described as begging for mercy. He's sitting there screaming 
as they're burning, burning him alive, almost basically going back on everything he says, because you're really taking into account, you know, the fire and how, you know, someone's soul and life is on the line here and how they're begging to do anything they can to keep it. Um, but, so a lot of people don't know, uh, not to ruin anything for anybody, but... So, and it wasn't actually John, of course, that actually shot the arrows. It was a couple of the Mance Raiders men in the Wildlings that actually shot him. Um, but Mance Raider in the books, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically, unfortunately, uh, he doesn't exactly, you know, He's basically put out of his misery. It's very sad. Um, I think that's a a mercy more than anything. Yeah. uh, Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, you know, this is basically how it is. He he goes down, which is very ironic uh, compared to... compared to how he is in the show. Um, Yeah, he, he kind of kept stoic, didn't say anything in the show, like kept his mouth shut, like, you started to see he was about to let out and scream, and that's when John killed him, so, like, in, in the TV series, it's almost like, you keep that respect there, you keep exactly what you want to do, you want to make sure that you, didn't, you weren't seen going out screaming by your own people, where in the books, um, unfortunately, that's kind of yeah. the way it went down, yeah. so, yeah. Which, this kind of throws a lot of people off, so one thing that I am going to reveal here, not to ruin anything, but, so, Mance Raider actually never dies in the books. Who you actually find out that it is, is a guy named Rattleshirt. Um, he actually magically altered it, altered his appearance, like a member of the Faceless Men, uh, to look like Mance Raider, which you find out later on is for other things that go down. But, um, so that kind of saves face there, but it really does describe the agony Mance Raider has, and he really does beg for his life. As he's burned to burn, even though it's not really menstruator. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really interesting how they, how they pull that out there. Which is cool. Which is like interesting because like you think about it, the Wildlings have a lot of things that people know. They had the ward with them, Orel, who died. They had like the, the the giants. Like it's like that doesn't surprise me that they had abilities like that because you know they they were beyond the wall, no one no one there to monitor them or kind of like you know almost how like the government and some of these superhero movies do, they see someone's got some extra abilities and they like take him and try to study him. Like, no one at the Citadel yeah. was able to do that. So, beyond the wall, it's not surprising at all that, you know, someone would be able to, like, shape-shift almost like the Faceless Men and take the appearance of Man's yeah. Raider. So, that's that's pretty cool. But that that's kind of how Episode 1 ends up. And then, you know, Episode 2... Which is funny. Is, it yeah. ended that way in the books because we're going into this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> cool. And then, you know, in, in episode two, Arya arrives in Bravos, and the Titan, like, her going underneath the Titan of Bravos was a little bit different in the books as well than in the TV series. In the TV series, like, basically, like, she's like, oh, the, the Titans, it doesn't, it's not a real life. Like, obviously, you know, it's just a big old statue that announces the arrival in the Bravos, but it comes down and smashes, like, ships, like, the way it's, it's Bill is able to do that. But um, he's like, this thing has been standing and protecting Bravos for however many years, and Arya's like, it's just, it's just a statue. And then he laughs because like then a big old like sound comes out, and he's like, oh, he's just arriving our, arri-. he's announcing our arrival. Where in the books, like if she's going underneath it and she looks up, there's a bunch of Bravosi people like kind of inside, almost Trojan horse style, that were inside the Titan, and, and, like the Bravos Titan, and like like had like arrows through like peoples and stuff, making sure that no one was approaching that was like an enemy ship. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, in which, you know, then she gets into... This leads into the episode. She arrives at the House of Black and White. The House of Black and White. And, yeah. you know, the, she get, got there with that coin that it was given by Jack in the Garden. She's she's trying to... What's really funny, because we know now, you know, like, that whole thing is being no one. And so, so he... Like, she asked, you know, I'm looking for Jack in the Garden. He gave me this coin. And the man who answered handed me, like, an old, like, crippled black man with a cane. Like, there's no one there by that name. Because, like... They're yeah. no one. They're, no they are no one, right? So no I thought one. that was super, super cool. Oh, that was awesome. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, you want to tell us how she gets to the house and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, she, like, when we go to the house of black and white, what's really cool about it, it's visually anyways, it's literally a door, one side's black and one side's white. <laughs> it's exactly how, how it's, it's, you know, depicted there. The guy opens the door and, like, basically tells her, you know, you're SOL, like, no one's there by that name, and kind of shuts the door on her. And she just basically sits down on the outside it rains on her and forth. like she just like 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 i just traveled all the way over to bravos and like i have not nothing to show for it i haven't found jack mcgar i had this coin that was supposed to do you know supposed to give me you know training for xyz and she can't do anything she's stuck outside she can't find jack at all so which that's a good point you brought up as far as one side is black one side is white there's no shade of gray there Almost like as you see Arya start to go through these trials as becoming basically no an assassin. One. Well, yeah, no and also, yeah. yeah, exactly, you're either someone or you're no one. You're like, like, you know, black and white. Here. Like, it's crazy. And that's funny, because that's what Jacken's whole point is. Yeah. Like, you need to stop sitting in the middle and pick a side of the fence here. Which is kind of awesome, because she's like, no, the heck I don't, and ends up, you know, yeah. later on, like, it does it, she goes her way, right. right? So, yeah, and when Walton, that goes on, too, I think this is, this is really important, is when Brienne... She, like, I, I, we jumped to, like, a kind of a cut scene of Brienne, uh, with, uh, Podrick at a tavern, and Podrick notices Sansa's with Peter Baelish over there. Yeah. And so everyone knows, like, Peter Baelish has this reputation of being, like, you know, exactly how we, we portrayed him as, like, someone who's super, super intelligent, but is dangerous. So, he, she asked Podrick, you know, are you sure that that's Sansa's thing? And she's dyed her hair, but 100% sure that's that's her and what's strange too is in the books Podrick wasn't really with Brienne like like during this entire time <laughs> right like and, and she's like searching in other places too with other like like old names and like uh you know so it, it's just a little bit different how they portray it but when Brienne confronts Baelish for Sansa Sansa declines because Baelish gets in her head he starts talking about oh well you know you're you were running sword like sworn sword you know, it's, it's said that you're the one that killed your own king. Because remember, like, who's going to believe that Renly was killed by a shadow? Unless you were right there in the tent. Like, that sounds like, you know, something out of a children's book. Like, oh, you were killed by a shadow. No, it's more likely that you're the one that killed him and blamed it on a shadow, isn't it? Like, basically getting, getting like, putting the poison in Sansa's head, like, turning her against Brienne already. Like, right. like don't trust Brienne. Like, I've been yeah. here. I, I got you to escape from King's Landing. Like, trust in me. I'm the right one. Like, she, he's so manipulative. And she takes a side, declines Brienne's protection, which is like, how much different would that have been if Sansa never to stick with Baelish didn't go to marry Ramsay Bolton at the Dreadfort and suck with Brienne as, for protection? We would have a total different storyline. These small little details, you change just a little thing, and the whole story is a, a whole, not, you know, different endless possibilities. Which goes back into, you know, this debate we've been having for a long time on the show, all the way back to episode one. So here's a question. You know how Danny almost used like her power 
trying to, you know, really be relatable to Drogo with, like, her power of sex and all that stuff. As far as Sansa goes, even though deep down I think she really despised Baelish, do you think she went along with the plan because she saw a better outcome in the future? Or she wanted to use his power of the veil that comes out later on that we'll talk about? Jeez, I don't think she was thinking that far ahead. But I think that she was... What she was trying to do is she was trying to put herself in the best situation that she could that she was given. All she knew for sure is she did not want to go back to King's Landing and be under Cersei's control. Because that's all she had known for the past four years. Which ma- like, makes sense. Yeah. Because Brienne was wearing Lannister armor. Yeah, Lannister armor Lannister had, had Jamie's uh, yeah. sword, too. like uh, that, that was made for him. So, it's... I don't know that Sansa had this whole thing planned out. I don't believe she did. I don't. Maybe I just don't give Sansa a lot of credit because to me she seemed very, very useless for the majority of the series. Like she just kind of was like she was a victim and had things happen to her. Where I don't know. I just don't. She think is, so. but it makes you wonder. Like what was going on? So yes, I have to completely agree that she was becoming almost like. Definitely in the beginning, I would say, you know, that bratty, I'm giving everything rich girl, uh, I'm just going to kind of do what I can to survive kind of person. As far as later on, I think you are right. Like, she really doesn't pay as much of a significant role as in the very end outcome. But you almost wonder... What do you think, in your opinion, was almost going on inside her head? Do you think she was thinking here, like, maybe if I keep going along with this, it'll wind up with a better outcome? If I use Baelish's motives and his allies to my advantage, I could wind up on top in this whole thing? Because as we know, you know, she winds up becoming Lady of the North. Right. Now, well, this is, this is what I think. I think it was all self-preservation. Look at the, the, the base facts without going any deeper into it. I think it's very, very simple. Peter Baelish got me to escape from King's Landing when no one else could. And Peter Baelish killed Liza Aaron so that way she didn't kill me through the moon door. He saved me twice on two separate occasions. I'm still 13 years old. Don't know what's going on. And every time I've needed help, he's been able to get me out of the situation. I'm going to stick with him. And I think that's a big point you brought up. Like, people think, because, you know, the actress that plays Sansa looks a little bit older than 13. Right. Okay, Jean Grey. Or <laughs> Phoenix, Sophie right? Turner, the real, so the real actor's name. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Sophie Turner's awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's she looks a little bit older than 13. I think people forget she's basically a child. Yeah, she's 13 point. years old. She's so I think it's all, it's all self, all self-preservation. Really sick. Baelish yeah. wanted to kiss, smash kiss. at 13. I think I said, I don't think he was, but he, he was trying it. to get his teenage smash on. I, oh, that's what he was trying. He was trying to smash and dash, baby. That's what <laughs> bed, bath, and beyond. You want the bed? You want the bath? I will follow. I think that's completely a little bit of the bath and the bubbly. That's what he was saying. A little bit of <laughs> he was he was little trying bubbly to, in the bath. He wanted to get a little affection, but I don't think he was trying to. He wanted a little. He was trying to picture her as Catelyn, and then also wanted some of that moolah. Wanted some of that mooch. I think it was more of the money, more of the power that came with the Stark name. It was so. all three. Symbolism of three. Here we go. Bang, bang. Here we go. 
conspiracy, conspiracy brown over Baelish here. Baelish with the money. <laughs> Baelish with the power. Baelish already had Baelish money. The Baelish has the Lord of the Veil money, which is like, right, like it was more than the Starks had for money. Okay, when, Winter, yeah, Winterfell yeah. burned to the ground. Winterfell had no money <laughs> at that point in time. Winterfell, well, Winterfell you know, had nothing. I still think he was that guy in the club that acts like he's your friend and secretly he's sending you texts when your boyfriend goes to bed that night. The, That's exactly yeah. who Peter Baelish is, man. He's definitely a snake, but I, yeah. I think that more than anything, he wanted her name because he wanted control of the North. Because yeah. even I remember when he got back with Cersei later on, I don't want to ruin it because we're getting into it like later in the next coming episodes if we don't get into it today, is that um, he basically tells Cersei, like, hey, uh, hell, like, make, let Stannis and um, the, uh, Bruce Bolton fight for the North and then go in and, and take over while they're looking at their wounds, go in and take them out. And then he, she's like, oh, you just will do this all you kind of share. He's like, well, no, you're going to make me warden of the North. Right. So he wanted to be warden of the North one way or the other. And I think he was either going to do it through Cersei or he was going to do this through Son of Stark's name. But it was more of like, I'm going to do whatever in the best interest of me, so I'm just going to use these people. I don't think he had any sort of... Yeah. Which I got to bring this up in this yeah. point. So you notice in the scene, Sansa has actually dyed her hair at this point. Yes. So she started to not only change her appearance. Do you think she's already starting to almost change... Her perception of everything at this point. Yeah, for sure. I don't think you can go through all that stuff without, like, with still being a nice, innocent young girl that you were when you got to the capital. She's starting to see, like, what she not starting to. She saw what the world really is when Joffrey took her dad's head off. All the abuse that she endured when she almost got raped by the people at the riot at King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so by now, like, you know, she, especially after like her own sister, like Liza Aaron, like threatened to throw out the moon door for right. like, that whole deal too. Like, she just. Like she has to have some serious PTSD. I'm like zero, oh, like sure. you know what I mean. Major like all these bad. Like she, like she, sick thoughts. <laughs> sick thoughts. Had no idea. Like like all this yeah. is gonna happen to her. So, which then you know they uh, Sansa basically tells Brienne to leave, and then the men chase after Brienne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They they do that. Uh, you actually start to see a little bit of Brienne's action at this point. Brienne was always always a badass when it comes to wielding swords and fighting. You know, Podrick. It was funny, and then the T series like. Like, he kind of gets cornered, the horse throws him off in the lake, and, like, yeah. like he tries to throw a rock at it, and Brienne ends up killing the two people that went after Podrick. But, yeah, you know, but one of the biggest things I want to talk about now, outside of that, because, like, that, that's huge now that we know that they found Sansa. Sansa didn't want their assistance. Remember, last season, they found Arya. Arya didn't want her assistance. So, Brienne's, like, failing on all fronts. Brienne failed to protect... <laughs> Uh, failed to protect Renly. Failure. Yeah, failed to protect <laughs> Renly. Failed to bring uh, the girls home to Lady Catelyn. Failed to protect Lady Catelyn. Failed to like get the protection of the girls at Jamie Center. I'm like, dude, she's just failing all over the place. Like, it's crazy at this point. Like, it, you know, being her. Because remember, guys, you have to realize she's she's considered an ugly woman, like a beast of a woman. Like she's like that, that's just all she's got going for her is like her ability to fight and you know protect them and her loyalty and like no one wants her service. <laughs> like like it's just yeah, so sad. Very sad. Man. It really is. And then while all this is going on over there in King's Landing, remember that Cersei gets a little uh, message from Dorne, gets the uh, yeah. Marcella's necklace and the Viper's teeth, like the little the right, statue yeah. of the the snake there. With a necklace hanging down in between it, and you know, she shows Jamie, and Jamie's like, Well, what is that? Like, there's only two like it, like mine and myself. This is a warning from mm-hmm. Dorne because we killed their prince Oberyn, right? That you know, they're gonna take action on it. So, they basically, what Cersei 
wants them to do is figure out how they can get Marcella back. Yeah. Which, Jamie goes to one of our favorite guys. Our boy, Ron. That's my guy. And he tells him as you start to uh, realize here, you know, because you've seen this pattern over and over. You know, <laughs> Braun is, like, actually kind of hanging out with this chick at the time. But he's girl. a betrothed to Lawless. He's yeah. Betrothed. Like, he's supposed to marry her, and, like, there's an older sister who owns the castle, but he always talks about misfortune befalling her. Right. He's going to kill her, yeah. and like, he's going to have the castle. Because he's always talked about yeah. getting the castle. Like, yeah, I think so, Braun, actually, in my opinion, I feel like Braun always wanted to be a king himself. At some point, it makes you wonder. Really, he's. I love Bron. Bron is like, like I said, Bron Bron, is the Deadpool of Game of Thrones. I (laughs) Bron is my favorite character. Like obviously, I was a big Rob Stark guy, but he's only for a short amount of time. Bron was cool to me from the day that like he entered, like all the way through. He just he was so practical about everything. He had no loyalty except to himself. He's like, no, listen, like I don't care. Like, yeah, like, I'm your friend, like, we can be cool and stuff, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I'm going to survive, and I'm going to do what I need to do to move myself up in the world. Because think about it, he came through, like, a cutthroat, to a self-sword, to a a, a knight, a knighted knight of the Blackwater, uh, to, you know, he always, you know, how he worked his way, I don't want to ruin too much, but, uh, you know, where he ended up at the very end of the season, or at the end of the series... Like, how far... He's always moving himself up a station, you know? Like he always uh, had, He's always been... He's almost like Cersei in a way, just not as bad. Like, well, we'll do whatever Cersei was married off there. into... Yeah, married off into royalty. So well, yeah, but we'll do whatever he can to get there. Yeah. Um, but... Point being, Jamie tells him, like, kind of plays into that... Yeah, tells him, yeah, you're not going to marry her anymore. Sorry. And he's like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's kind of like that best friend sort of thing. Like, you know your best friend so well, you're like, well, don't worry, like, he's going to come. Like, it's, it's fine, because I know exactly how to get him. And he tells him, I'll give you a much better girl and a much, much better, better castle. castle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which kind of, this kind of bugs me, is because, like, you know, all of a sudden, now Bronn and Jamie are such buddy-buddy, but, like, Tyrion and Bronn had been through so much together. From the start, like, when Catelyn took Tyrion prison back in Season 1, him, like, helping him get out of that by fighting for him as his champion, like, being there every step of the way to, like, well, you know what, you, you guys, are, you and your brother are on the opposite sides now, but I'm going to be your best friend now, Yeah, Jamie. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of sad how he just, like, I mean, you know, but again, that's that's his thing. Like, cutthroat, disloyal, doesn't matter. He's going to do what's in the best interest of him. So, yeah, I, I mean, get it. I man, get it, he's man. He's Deadpool. <laughs> he's literally Deadpool in Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, but then, you know, you kind of cut over to... Darian Harris with Darian Grey Worm. Darian Harris, yeah. Remember man. that? They're searching for, like, the, the uh, Sons of Harpreet. And, like, this is a really cool quote that, that I had, too. Like, basically, he's like, are you afraid? And Grey was like, never afraid. And he's like, well, this is your problem. Because you're not afraid, you forgot what it's like to be scared. And so they knocked down that wall in that house after the, the son, like the second son's got that tip, and they found, like, you remember he stabbed through the drywall? Yeah. And, like, got the guy in the leg, and um, he fell out of there, and they saw, like, the harpy mask uh, behind it, too. So they, they found one of the sons of harpies. Right. And this, this caused for big turmoil because... You know, half the people wanted her to execute that son of the harpy guy. Other half wanted him to, like, interrogate him. But the other people were saying he's not going to talk. But, like, you know, they want to give him a fair trial to make sure everyone knows, like, in Marine, she's going to do things the right way. So, like, this caused a whole bunch of turmoil over there in <laughs> in Essos with this whole situation when they found that guy in the wall <laughs> as yeah. far as the sons of harpy. And you really start to see, you know, this is where... 
just because you're trained as a soulless military machine, basically, you're really flawed because, yeah, you know, he tells him, I actually have the quote here, he says, you've forgotten fear and also forgotten how to hide. Well, it goes to show, remember, like I was telling you, the history of Dario, his mom was a whore. He had to really come up from nothing. Like, he was a street rat on the street, if you've ever seen Aladdin. <laughs> street rat, I don't buy that. Uh, he really was. <laughs> he had to come up from nothing. And that's the problem, is the Unsullied, because they literally have no emotion at this point, they can't think like a normal human. Right. Which is flawed in the military. That's why they were so unsuccessful in finding the Sons of the Heart. Right. Which, let's go into this, because we kind of, you know, uh, this is one big thing that does happen. Uh, So Oberon Martell's wife, Illyria Sand, actually goes over to Oberon's brother and is asking to avenge Oberon's death. Yeah, yep. Prince Uh, Duran. Yeah. uh, She actually says at one point, which we're going to talk about Marcella, um, he says, I will send Cersei's daughter piece by piece back to her if I have to. Um, and it, it goes to show, you know, she loved Oberon so much despite his interesting <laughs> abilities to slay everything that walks. <laughs> but the strange thing is, too, it's like, she, she's like, Elaria is a sand. She's a bastard. I know they don't, they, they, they don't look down on bastards in, in Dorne. But the thing is, is like he, she wasn't his husband. She just has this undying loyalty to this guy. But the issue is, is like he, uh, he willingly stepped in to be a champion in the trial by combat. It wasn't murder. It wasn't. Right, it, it wasn't, wasn't anything yeah. sort of deception. So like she, just, sad, she's just really. upset because he's he's gone, which is rightfully so. But like you know, like and that's what Prince Duran is trying to get Elaria to understand is like, listen, like straight up, he did this like on his own accord. He's my brother. I will mourn him. But at the end of the day, we don't hurt children in Dorne. Like it's right. not gonna happen. Like yeah. you know, it's just, it's just like oh, so you'll do nothing. Like like, like he, she's she wants a full outblown war because exactly Oberyn decided on a his own personal what he wanted to do. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna fight, and you know yeah. he got killed. It's not like, anyone's fault. Like that's the chance he took. I mean, it almost goes back to the whole Troy thing. Remember Eric Bana, who played. You know, Hector, he was like, I will not let you start a war for this woman. Yeah. Um, I mean, he openly volunteered, which is why Oberon's brother was like, you know, he actually says, quote, unquote, he says, we do not mutilate little girls for vengeance because Illyria says, let me send to Cersei one finger at a time. Because he was gonna, she was gonna cut him, cut her down piece by piece. And Oberon's brother, if it wasn't honestly, if it wasn't for him, you know. Well, I mean, he's the prince of all Dorne. Keep in mind that like Oberon was the second son. Oberon was not even the leader of Dorne. But the thing is, is the people of Dorne respected Oberon as if he was the the leader king of Dorne. Where it was really Prince Duran is the is the is the one. So he his word is law as it is. Even if Oberon was still alive. He's got to concede to whatever Duran says. So the fact that like these people loved and cherished Oberyn so much more than they did than of, of Duran, it really spoke volumes about yeah. the Red Viper, which we kind of got. We talk about all the time. We kind of got cut short on his like who he was because he was in it for such a amount of, like yeah. small amount of time. But the amount of love and respect that is held for him uh, throughout the entire country is crazy. They they would all like 
ignore their leader and be like, no, nah, like we're going to war. Let's do it. Oberyn, yeah. Oberyn was that guy. Like, that's crazy. And um, I do want to say, so in the books, it's actually a little bit different. So in the books, Illyria over and over, I mean, honestly, you even question her affection for Oberon because of his sexual deviancy. Uh, she actually opposes the idea of going to war over Oberon. It's actually his daughters over and over and over that are like, we need to avenge our father, we need to do this. And actually the girl that proposed it... So there's two. There's three of his, his like, the, the Sand daughters. There's Obara, right. there's Tyan, and there's Nymeria. Right. So Obara and, uh, is the crazy one. She is, like, she is like the one that's kind of like the biggest warrior out of all three, mm-hmm. where Tyan's like the youngest and most beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. And here's what's wild. The one in the books actually is completely cut from the show. So it's actually Arion Martell, who is older than the three that's shown. And she is the original one that says the sentence and proposes it. You know, we need to avenge our father. And Illyria over and over in the books is completely against it. So it's just very... I actually thought it was a good idea by Wise and Benninghoff, because I like... It didn't leave Illyria out. Like, it was basically like... Otherwise, it would have been to the point of, why were we even shown this whole section of Storm of Swords in the show if it wasn't just for entertainment? Like, it still gave a whole idea of why we were shown this. But at the same time, like, it, what's strange, too, is that Ilaria, like, again, is not has no legitimacy. Like, she's not his wife. She's a bastard. Like, like... I could have done it either way. Like, I could have, I could have done the way they did it in the TV series and been okay, happy with that, or how they did it in the books. Like, I'm happy with both. That's one of those few things where, like, either way really kind of works. Yeah. So then we're kind of going into this after uh, Dario and Grey Worm, right? Yeah. Uh, Beres and Sami he counsels he, Daenerys about his, her father's mistakes and counsels restraint on, you know, hey, don't kill this guy. Like, he's like, yeah. he's like the one who's like saying, like, listen, like. You know, he starts talking about Rhaegar, he starts talking about everyone, he starts talking about, like, how, like, uh, he sings, like, you know, throughout the streets, and, mm-hmm. you know, he, like, just trying to, like, get her to understand, like, you know, your father, he killed all of his enemies because he thought he was right all the time, right? And how did that turn out for the rest of the country? And what's some foreshadowing here? That's some big old <laughs> foreshadow fire scene. And we tell you pretty much every episode. I'm going to stop saying You guys are sick of hearing it by now. But, uh, no I, trial here. <laughs> no yeah. trial by combat, bro. No. So, yeah, I mean, that is he, like, that's, that's pretty good. What, what I like about that is that, again, she starts making, like, decisions based on the new information that she's given. Like, okay... Well, I don't want to be my father. I know he was a mad king. I know, like, he deserved what he got. So, like, well, listen, like, if you really believe that, Daenerys, like, how are you so quickly willing to just massacre anyone that doesn't agree with you? And she's got to stop, think, and reassess. And that's when we were talking about right. how she makes that decision to, with, like, the, the masters and the, and the dragons. That was a little early and premature. Like, that's where the, kind of, that kind of goes in later on after after the, the whole situation where the slave comes in. We'll, we'll, like, we'll get to that a little bit, but... Yeah. Uh, but uh, tell him what uh, Danny does, and I'll kind of tell you the difference in the book real quick. In terms of what, like... As far as, you know, she doesn't take into no trial at this point. He's talking about okay? the... Um, so as far as... Different pages here, I'm not sure. So... Because as of right now, nothing's been, nothing's been said. Like, like, like they... 
They haven't brought son after Grey Worm with the. Uh, they haven't brought her like the son of the harpies like like mask yet. Like, like okay, so that's where I was at. Yeah, so so we can kind of dive. In. Do you want to dive into that real quick? Not quite yet because there's other things that kind of jump in between where that happens at. What I want to talk about now is the difference between the books and the uh, TV series of what happens back in King's Landing, okay. where they've kind of got to we'll scramble go right to find, um, you know, just if we're following the timeline, like the scramble to find what's going to happen because Tywin's now dead, they need a new hand of the king, and they're just trying to figure out what's going on. Where the TV series, they weren't even worried about finding a hand of the king, like that wasn't a single yeah. that wasn't a single issue. Where in the books, it was, we need a new hand of the king. Cersei's first thought is, I want Jamie to be hand of the king. He declines. She goes to Kevin Lannister. And Kevin Lannister, guys, is Tywin's brother. And he's kind of projected in the TV series. He's not a good, that's not a good cast, if you think about it. How he's projected, like, in terms of physical appearance and build. Like, Kevin Lannister, it looks, it, it, he's not as formidable as he looks in the uh, TV show. And his interaction with Cersei was so much more different in the books than it was in, in the series. In the TV series, basically, he she asked him to be the master of war, not the hand of the king. In the books, she asked him to be the hand of the king. On top of that, he he basically, he's in the TV series, like, listen, if Tommen comes and tells me this is what he wants to me, no problem. But I, I don't recognize your authority. Like, seriously, you're not pulling the strings here. You're not, like, the end-all, be-all. Like, if, if the king wants something, the king can come to me and ask, and I will do it. But I don't recognize your authority. And, like, this, like, drives Cersei insane. Like, she's mad, but, like, she can't do anything because he gets up and walks away. But in the books, it's even worse than that. Like, in the books, he talks about how she's a bad mother. Like, how, like, he knew, like, like basically, um... He was. He, she's like, "How can you abandon your house in a time of need? Like, we need you to be hand of the king." He's like, "Listen, I'll be hand of the king, but you need to go back to Casterly Rock, and you have to uh, give me uh, regency over, like, you know, what's going on here in King's Landing. Like, your father, his plan was to send you back to Casterly Rock. Like, you don't even know that. Like, he was trying to send you back to Casterly Rock because you're messing things up here. Right. And like, okay. like which is crazy because like that's not not at all how it happens in the TV series. So. He's like, he's like, you're messing up there, so I'll be handling the king, but you have to give regency over to me. And she's like, well, that's not happening. I'm staying here with my son. He's like, okay, then that's fine. I'm not going to fight you on it, but I'm not going to be handling the king. Like, it seems that, you know, he's got you and he's got his father here as well. Like, through shade, like, he knows. And that's what, like, Cersei, like, oh my gosh, like, is, is uh, Kevin Lannister in Tyrion's pocket? Did Tyrion tell uh, Kevin, like, about, you know, me and Jamie? Like, how did, how did he know that? Uh, so... I just found it very because like when she when he gave her the like that little quip about being a bad mother like you're you're as bad of a mother as you are running the country she threw the wine in his face in right. the in the book yeah. yeah which is crazy like, that that interaction was so much more heated and hateful than it was portrayed in the series and I think the books did a way better job on that it was, it's very interesting like, why would you need a master of war there was no master of war for the entire series like I felt that came out of left field and. Didn't love the little ad lib there by Benny Hoffman mm-hmm. Weiss, but tell me what you completely think about agreed. Um, yeah, I don't think they did it justice as far as the books. I mean, I think as far as the TV show goes, they did a lot of things. Even going to back, this is what I love to kind of you know be in on this long arc for because it allows our viewers and our listeners to really kind of reminisce on the episodes 
you know, they've listened to as far as, you know, Rob's wife that he was going to marry as far as their kid, you know, that was a girl, you know, he, they completely just wrote out of nowhere. There's things they've done in the show that they can take little pieces of and come up with their entire own story because he didn't marry Jane. Um, that was in the books. But as far as description and being as far as very vague and... Which I get it, because the problem is, is you have to have audiences accept it everywhere. But even going as far as down to show, the explicitness of this series... Remember when Sansa was beaten to the pulp, you know, in the middle of uh, King's Landing with Joffrey, yeah, yeah. yeah, standing in front of her. And then the hound said, you know, enough. Yeah. Smash a melon on her head is what they were suggesting. Like, they're not going to show those things in the television series, which I can understand. But just like you said, I have to agree 100%. They really didn't do it justice here in the show. Uh, I mean, it was really just... They just changed it, like, the whole a few, script. Yeah. Yeah, it was only a few seconds. And, like, that's a big thing. Like, like the position that they she wanted for a completely different Master of War in the TV series and then the Hand of the King is, like, obviously, you need it. Like, did the, the Hand of the King never got, like, resolved as far as the rest of the series went on. To be, re- right. to be realistic. Yeah, to be realistic. Like, nobody yeah. else, like, ever became that. Like, and she needed one, like, you know, in the books there. That's what the thing was. And, like, her, like, throwing, like, her wine in her uncle's face. Like, that's a big like, scene that they just decided to leave out. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's almost like we'll go into this later on around the holidays. But the Harry Potter scene in the books, you know, when... Um, you know, his professor is making the writing that's cutting the hand in the Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They completely cut that scene out, which we'll go into that around the holidays because we're going to do a little holiday special around yeah. that time. Yeah. Which I know our buddy Nicholas Gall, there's a little <laughs> shout out. <laughs> a little shout out to our friend. He wants to join excited, us. Yeah. So. But uh, definitely, man. And then, then also, while this is all going over here, like in this episode, you know, we're only on episode two. But uh, over the Night's nice Watch, you know, Shireen is, like, you know... Umbridge Tannis, was her name, sorry. Yeah, Professor Umbridge for, yeah, yeah. She, Professor Umbridge. But, uh, yeah, Shireen's teaching Gilly how to read, which is important, because Gilly is, you know, a, a full-blown adult who has a kid, and she never learned how to read at Carrasso's Keep, because there was any, never any reason to. And so Sam, and, like, you start to see a little bit of, like, annoying. Like, Sam's kind of frustrated, and, like, you know, I've kind of been there before, if I'm trying to talk to somebody about something and they they just don't know, and I'm just like, dude, like, how do you not know this? Like, didn't you learn this in school, right? Like, like, like how? Like, yeah. like, she's like, oh, is this all the books here? Like, all the books? Like, no, there's a billion books in the world. Yeah, like, all right, the books in right. the world are right here. What are you talking about? Like, I, 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 you know, like, lack of intelligence is frustrating sometimes. So you start to see like a little bit of like uh, discontent between Gilly and Sam. What you kind of see though, like Sam. His old passion, which we'll get into this later, as far as what his idea was in the books, was a little bit different than the show. But in the show, specifically, you know, you can kind of see his past. His passion really was he wanted to be a maester the whole time. He really wanted to study up on these things. He wasn't meant for the battlefield. If you go back to the mistake he big, he made with the Night's Watch, where all those people could have gotten killed. Uh, yeah, with the others out, yeah. and the whites. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think, in my opinion, 
Sam was really meant to be a member of the Night's Watch. What do you think? He really wasn't. I mean, he was, he was, he's supposed to be the Lord of Hornhill after his father, Randall Tolly passed away. <laughs> but the thing is, like, he just didn't have the skills and, like, the ability. Like, what I think, this, this painted a perfect picture. So, like, like this kind of goes off on a tangent. I'll try to make it as quick as I possibly can. But this guy was talking about he had a son who, you know, he wasn't physically gifted in terms of playing sports, but he, he had the drive and want to, but he just couldn't. Like, he just wasn't talented. He just wasn't good enough to do it. Then he had a second son who was, like, 6'4", had the great build for it, but he didn't want to play any sports. He wanted to, like, watch, like, acting and dancing and other things. Like, just, it shows you how... You know, no matter what your plans are for your kids, they're their own people. So, no matter what you wanted, like like what Randall Charlie wanted for Sam, Sam wasn't going to be that ultimate warrior to take his place when he died. And it shows you what kind of person Randall Charlie was, and he just doesn't accept Sam and sends him to the Night Watch. So, no, to answer your question, Sam was never meant to be a member of the Night's Watch, but it was either that, or he was going to remember have that accident on the boar hunt. And when he fell, feels like people fall from their right. horses all the time. Yeah. They're, he's going to kill them. So yeah. like, it, was like, it was a choice. Either you're going to go join the Night's Watch or I'm going to kill you. One of the two. It's yeah. an easy choice. <laughs> What's the choice, man? Yeah. What's the choice? <laughs> but, um, now that we're kind of like jumping into Sam Tarly here, like, where he doesn't, he's not kind of known as having any sort of courage in the books. He announces himself as Craven like, the first time he en like, enters the Night's Watch where... And the TV series, like, yeah, I'm a coward. But you know what I thought took really, really big courage is when they're all in this great hall and they're announcing that they're going to have a nomination for the new Lord Commander after everything happened with the Wildlings. Like, you know, stuff is starting to get back to a semblance of normal. Um, like, obviously, Alistair Thorne was nominated. And then the other guy from uh, Eastwatch, he was, he was nominated as well. Sam Tarley kind of stands up, takes his chance, and, like, talks about why he believes John he wants to nominate John Snow and why he believes John Snow is such a good choice you know he was the, he was the person that we looked the commander we turned to when the night was at his darkest so like all these people and they're like you know almost everyone hates Sam himself most people like and respect John but like no one likes Sam really outside of like right. Ren, yeah. Pip, Ed and John those like the only five people that really give Sam any sort of respect at all everyone else just thinks like you know whatever but so to take that courage and to stand up in front of everybody who dislikes you and proclaim a new nominee where you was like he wasn't even in the thought process of the running I thought that took a lot of courage and it kind of changed the trajectory of what's going to happen because let's say Alistair Thorne becomes like remember the Night's Watch I think Jon Snow takes Stannis up on his offer to become Jon Stark yeah you brought actually a really good point here right which you know why Stannis remember who's saying because Stannis his whole point was originally to gain the respect of the wildlings to get them to work for him. Yeah, fighting the army. And John said, we'll never get the help of the wildlings. You burn their king. Yeah. So, like, he will, which I think goes into later on, you know, Stannis, you know, to the point of the conclusion later on, as far as his whole arc, I think that's part of, part of one of the building blocks that really tears him down for him reminiscing for what happened through the whole time. But I will say, I think you're right. I think if it wasn't for Sam, which Sam kind of basically became almost John's best friend in the Night's yeah, Watch. For sure. Like, he was John's best friend. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Sam, I think John, I don't want to say takes the easy way out, but almost like 
how Stannis mentioned, like, I'm giving you an opportunity to revenge your father. And your brother. And your brother, yeah. And, and John's always fought for justice, and I think if it wasn't for Sam, like, he probably would have done it. Because think about this. Like, like the big thing is they, they've got to take Winterfell. Who right. holds Winterfell? Roose Bolton. Who killed Rob Stark? Roose Bolton. Mm-hmm. It's like you're gonna get like you're gonna get revenge on these people who killed your family. Like we, we're gonna start right here, Winterfell. We gotta go through Winterfell. Roose Bolton's right there. He put a knife through the heart of your brother, who was supposed to be king in the north. Like, you know. Yeah. So, I think so, he, I think he would have done it. I think he would have like if he wasn't if Sam didn't nominate John. John didn't become Lord Commander. Alistair Thorne did. Why would John just stay there? Why would John be like I'm gonna stay here while this person who hates me is in charge and probably gonna end up murdering me? Which like, that makes a good point. Like. If John and Stannis wound up being on the same team, I feel like Stannis would have won the whole thing. I don't, because I still think that Stannis does everything his way and doesn't doesn't think about the potential consequences. So yeah, even though they they be great fighters, you can't fight against stuff like like the elements, like like the snow, like all these other things. You can't like you know the the siege of Winterfell, like the size of their walls, like how they're going to defend it. Like he was just too headstrong. He's like, I'm going to do this by any means possible, but without any sort of like flexibility. He's like, this is what we're going to do. And this is it. We're going to march in formation. We're going to go down there. We're going to storm. We're going to take it. And like, there was just no, no, there's no talking to him. Once he's got it in his mind, that's what he's going to do. And that's why, even though if John joins that army, like he's not going to give John any sort of command because that's going to undermine his own authority. And that's his whole thing is like, these people have been undermining Stannis, from the beginning, because he should have been the rightful king, being you know the oldest brother of Robert Baratheon. So I don't know. I don't think it would have made much of a difference as far as that goes. So you think John would have basically just been like a a normal fighter? Yeah, uh, like a general. Like basically. a general, like, like kind of like on the same level as Sir Davos type deal. See, I think I mean as he claims it, you know, he was going to make John Lord, Lord of Winterfell at that point. Uh, yes, but he's still the king, and what he says goes, and that's the thing. Like, doesn't matter like like about you know, what John's abilities are on a battlefield, you can't fight, like, you can't fight people deserting because of the freezing and, like, the snow destroying their lines of, you know, food, and then Ramsey with his people that we'll talk about later coming in and, you know, doing what they do. Right. Like, it's just, there's, like, certain things that you just, it doesn't matter who you have. Right, but as far as a debate, you gotta say Stannis does listen to his predecessors and his advisors. Look at Melisandre. And as far as the decisions he makes down the road, I think he would have listened to John. They would have united the wildlings. I think, honestly, the only person that would have been able to stand up to him is Danny. And that would have been a very interesting... And honestly, with their relationship, wow, if it happened to be Danny, John, and Stannis, they would have taken the whole kingdom. Yeah, but like then who's, who's the king? Who's the queen? That's the whole point. Like, wow, yeah. that's a good point. No, it's just like, I don't know. I don't think that John would have been able to get the Wildlings to fight for Stannis. That's my point. I think that basically it would have been like yeah. adding John to Stannis' army. And that wouldn't have done a so whole lot. the only option would have been is if... Because think about it, like this, The reason the Wildlings, like, you know, not to jump ahead too far, but if we go to like season six and like right. the Wildlings do join yeah. up with John, it's because it's with John. Little preview there. Yeah, it's just because <laughs> it's for John. It's not for Stannis. Like they would never fight for Stannis because Stannis again burned their leader alive. <laughs> like, right, alive. So, yeah. So like, no matter what happened, he wasn't in the Wildling army. So which, yeah, basically just never was in the cards because Man's yeah. Raider was never going to fight for Stannis either. Right. Just, so I mean, that answers your question. Stannis was never meant to ever run the Wildlings. Uh, you know, 
guide the wildlings or so you you raise a good point there. So after, you know, John refuses to join Stannis, so they have this big vote. Yeah. That goes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and like uh it was cool that the the how he portrayed the whole thing. Because like even Alistair Thorne, he's like, Yeah, you know what? I can't argue with any of that. But then he just throws in like this personal jab like, but you know, who does Jon Snow want to rule? Us or the wildlings? Because while we're, I was busy fighting the wildlings, Jon Snow was making love to him. Like, but dude, at the end of the day, you had a fight with Tormund. You got the worst of that battle. They had to drag you inside. If Jon Snow wasn't there, you guys would have died. Like, Jon Snow has been a great leader without any sort of real assistance because yeah. Mormont was grooming him to be taking command, but he was he died so soon, and Jon Snow was off with Corrin Halfhand, you know, and then he ended up getting taken by the wildling army as a captive. Jon Snow never really got... Any sort of guy that's going to do this whole sort of leading thing, he's a natural-born leader. Right. That's something you can't teach. Yeah. So, Which Alistair Thorne, man, like, he throws every jab he can at John. Oh, he hated, he hated John from the second John arrived at the Night's Watch. Yeah, every second. You have personal vendetta. And, like, you got personal vendetta against people, you're not, you're not going to be a good leader. And so it was cool how it came down to, in the TV series, um, Maester Eamon didn't put his chip in. Right, Until it yeah. was a tie between yeah. Thorne and Snow, and then... He, he's like, you know, even Maester Aemon, the guy who's been there through how many different Lord Commanders, he's like, nah, like, Jon Snow is, is, is the obvious choice here. Yeah. So, our boy, our boy J.S. commands a nice <laughs> watch John now! Snow, yeah, Jon Snow, he's a, he's a beast. He's our, he's our new Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, and he refuses uh, Stannis to be Jon Stark, which that's, yeah. that's gotta be a tough choice, because like, like, that's all I ever wanted my whole life, is I wanted to be a Stark. Yeah. You know? Which, Which, you know what's crazy to me, too? Like, what happens if all these things didn't happen to the Stark family? Like, if everyone was still alive, do you think John would have accepted it at that point? Or do you think... What do you, what do you think? Because... Well, we've discussed this before. Catelyn hated John. Okay. Remember, all the way to the point of she said, I want you to just leave. But think about this, though. Remember, remember what Ned Stark did? Ned Stark's first motive of action was to write to Stannis and say, hey, the, the Joffrey and Tom and, and Marcella are born of incest. Like, you're, like, you're going to be the new, you're the rightful king of the Iron Throne. So let's say none of the Starks ever died. Now, you know, Stannis, if he wants to legitimize, you know, Jon Snow, because Melisandre, remember Melisandre tells Stannis, like, the real war is the war of the North, like, the living versus the dead. Right. So if he wants to enlist the Wildlings to fight against the army of the dead, and Stannis still needs Jon Snow, and he's like, listen, I'll make you Jon Stark, do you think he accepts now because his brother is still alive, his dad's still alive, like, like their whole family's together? Do you think he accepts then, he just only declined because, like, what, what's their point in being Jon Stark when, like, there's no other flipping Starks? <laughs> like, right, yeah, yeah. All, yeah. yeah. And what do you think? I would say no, and the reason why I have to say no is because John always still was looked at as an outcast. If it wasn't for Arya, he wouldn't even really feel like part of that family because it's what Ned tried to conceal. Yeah, um, it's in which I think Ned showed some affection for him. He showed a lot of affection for him. He, he treated him as equally as he possibly yeah, could given the circumstances. But I mean, I think a lot of it was. You know, Catelyn and her side that really almost like shunned John, which is she why he wound up John. going through. Yeah, <laughs> she did. A nice watch, and but it, uh, Rob and John had a good relationship too. Like, I mean, remember he said he always used to look up to him. Like, remember that like that goodbye they had? Like they smiled yeah, and hugged each other yeah, out. Like, I do get that. You know, like 
So. But one thing that is really cool that you do see throughout this show that I think they did well until the later seasons was they showed the relationship between John and Ghost that he was given early on, which was really cool. Um, but to answer your question, I just can't say it because I can't I say that with because like John has been known as just this honorable guy and he would take his vows seriously, like regardless yeah. and. So, yeah, you know. Like, okay, this goes, jumps into the future a little bit, but as, as everyone, all our listeners know and our viewers on the show, we give a little bit of previews every now and then with quotes in there. John says in season seven in the last episode, if I'm going to break my vow, words are just words. It showed he was really, ever since the time of birth, he was raised by Ned, Eddard Stark, as he was the Stark always of his word. He wasn't Sansa going back and forth. I mean, honestly, him and Arya were pretty much identical, which is really funny if you think about that. Because as far as their values, like his fighting for justice and what they stand in, but even as far as little details, John was more walking the straight line because Arya, when you even think about the House of Black, you know, she kind of varies in what she stands in for a minute because she's wanting to almost please the guy she's working for, just like how she almost wanted to please Ned for a I'm while. I'm glad you brought that up to kind of reel us back into, you know, where we're at right now on the show. You're talking about the person that Arya's trying to please, Jack Hagar. He finally shows his face to Arya when she has right. a conversation with yeah. the boys in the streets, uh, takes her inside the house in black and white, and, you know, you kind of don't really know what's going on, like, there. So she takes him in, and they, you got you kind of see all these, like, statues of, like, these different gods, and, you know, and he calls it the, the many-faced god there. So, um, yeah, it was just really interesting there, too, because, you know, from there, you don't get to see much about the house of black and white in that exact scene. But um, you will you will go back to Marine, and this is when start things start like shit starts hitting the fan. Where the ex-slave that we were talking about, he ends up killing that son of Harpy without Daenerys's knowledge or permission. So Daenerys has a, a choice now because like she feels bad and like you know she understands where the slave is coming from, but she can't have anyone undermining her rule. So right. she's got a decision like am I like I've got to basically like execute this ex-slave, and she does it in grand fashion. She takes him out onto the dais in front of all the mass, former masters and all the former slaves and has Darina Harris execute the, uh, the ex-slave and all the crowd hisses and then the ex-slaves throw rocks at the former masters and like a whole like riot really ensues there and they've got to get Daenerys back into the pyramid, man. And this is when you kind of really start to see the Sons of the Harpies. Um, backing up just a second, one thing I do want to say about the books as far as Arya and yeah. Jack and Agar. Yeah. So... When she first actually walks into the house of black and white, um, you know, it was that uh, African-American gentleman with, you know, the hood over. He looked very um, suspicious kind of thing, like um, mysterious, I would say, just not jacking. Right. The guy that actually answers the door in the book, he has a skull face. Yes. Which, yeah. Very, very good point. Very Which, point. going back to the further episodes, remember when I was saying that House of Faceless Men, they actually worshipped the god of death. Mm. Um, so it makes you sit there and wonder, as far as even going into these episodes, is she really actually 
learning from Jack and Nagar, or is she actually learning from the God of Death? Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I think she's learning from Jack and Nagar because, like, no God has ever showed itself, like, in person form. Right. Um, well, you like have ability. the Night King that was well, never talked about. Yeah, it was on the books, and, like, right. you know, and, and again, like, I just still don't think the Night King is actually the God of whatever, mm -hmm. and he's just the leader, you know? Because, like, the Lord of Light never shows, but, like, that, like the champion, Azor Aiv, is, like, is the the person that's supposed to be, like, I think that Azor and, and the Night King were supposed to, like, face off as, like, kind of, like, almost like Michael the Archangel, yeah. you know, like, or like Grindelwald, and you had, uh, who's yeah. the other guy, Grindelwald, and the guy that <laughs> Johnny Depp played. Yeah, no, um, so, like, that just, I just think that, uh, Grindelwald and Albus, well, how did I forget that? <laughs> Albus Dumbledore, man. <laughs> yeah, but, never forget there's a light in the darkest of Yeah, it's like, it's like before. a, it's like a dark and light type of deal, but I don't think it's the actual God, because, like, I think people are misunderstanding, like, the Lord of Light and the Lord of Darkness that Melisandre talks about. It's not the God of Death. Like, the, right. it's like us is all different. It's like, different. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, it's interesting, but because, like, everyone in Bravos, because remember who taught Arya, like, you know, there's only one God, it's called Death, and, like, we tell, what do we tell the God of Death every day? Uh, not not today. today, right? Yeah. So, like, everyone in Bravos believes in mm -hmm. the God of Death, which is, like, Jack and Nagari. They're in Bravos now. Right. So now that's their, that's their um, religion. Their, yeah. Their theology, so... Which I'm actually really glad we're on this topic, because if you go way back, like, when we actually started this episode into, like, the very first part of when we're seeing Danny, which relates to this. Yeah. Remember they tore down uh, the, the, pyramid. the yeah. pyramid statue of the Gasari. So I brought this up to you a little bit today, which I can get into this later, but... No, so I want you to talk about this, because I think it's super important now that we're kind of getting to marine in turmoil now. Yeah, you know what so I mean? marine. So talk, talk a little bit about the about what that that meant, like tearing that down from the, the pyramid. Because the pyramid, guys, is like the biggest, it's like the central like structure in marine. Like that's right. the, like the place everyone sees. And so tearing that down, this Giscari, you know, Chase did a little bit of research and really found out what what the meaning behind that was and why they worship it. So yeah. tell, tell everyone a little bit about that, man. So um, for those who are listening, I'm trying to jump back through my notes because, you know, me and Josh always want everything to be literally right on 100% yeah. of quotes and everything. But um, basically, so the Gasari, right, and I was going to kind of bring this up into when we start getting into the high sparrows and stuff later on because as far as religion, but... The Gasari, the reason that thing looks almost like a griffin or like a ghoul or something you would see with the wings and, you know, it has the big head, almost like something from the Adams family, family, right? As they used to worship ghouls and actually in the very beginning, all the way back to the city of Valyria, which the Valyrian um, is basically almost like the ancient history of the Targaryens, which you'll see later on in the show we'll talk about as far as where Tyrion and Jorah sailed through, yeah. um, which was actually disrupted by this <laughs> big cataclysm that they talk about, which I can talk about later. But the Gasseri uh, basically were always rivals to the Valyrian, which goes back even all the way before the Targaryen Age. And the reason that looks like a ghoul is they used to actually worship these ghouls. Actually, some of the ancients believed in this religion that they actually descended from ghouls and demons themselves um, in the actual Gasseri. Um, in the Targaryens, uh, the Unsullied in 
the Stormlands, and then as far as you had the Gasseri, uh, that even had, you know, some of the Unsullied over there that would, you know, occupy some of their lands at some point. Um, they were really the only rivals to the Targaryen Age at the time. Um, even Aegon the First, going, which was known as the Mad King, uh, Aegon, well, actually, Aegon the First Aegon was the almost conqueror. like an old, yeah, yeah, yeah Aegon he was the a conqueror, conqueror, yeah, who became an old man uh, with Grigala and all that stuff. Um, Aegon the Second was the Mad King, but their rivalry. They were really the only ones to stand up to the Targaryens, um, and I think of the Targaryens almost as, you know, I can't even say the Giants and Jets. You know, our boy over here, Josh, is a big <laughs> Giants fan, but the Jets don't stand a chance when it comes down to the real big blue. Uh, I guess I would say Pittsburgh Ravens, <laughs> Pittsburgh Ravens, right? Which I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, so I want to say Falcons Saints, but the Falcons have been down and down, man. And yeah, I love the Falcons. I, I like I like the, the inner city thing, like you know, almost like like the Cowboys to the Texans. Like, Cowboys, you know, like, it's, like the, it's like the okay. big brother, little brother. Yeah, that's deal. really what it yeah. is. Um, but it was really, I actually. What's funny is I actually just flipped to the page of the entire. Um, what you were just going through? Yeah, what I was just going through, ironically. Um, is it was really like, I hate to say this, and I, I'm not a big, I try not to ever cuss on show, but it was really like an F you to the Targaryens. Because the Targaryens used their dragons to really conquer the entire lands. And the reason they kept this statue on there of the ghouls was to always remind the Targaryens and Aegon that they completely opposed Valyria and their dragons, which Valyria, that was destroyed by the cataclysm, it was said their dragons was come from the 14 volcanoes that erupted, that also erupted their city, and that's what the dragons came out of. So they had all these dragons in their army, so they were completely destroying the entire world, basically. Yeah. It, like, literally were basically dictators. And they were the only ones to completely stand up to you that was basically like a fuck you. Excuse my language. Like, we're going to keep this shit on there, showing that we basically <laughs> worship demons. So fuck you and your dragons, man. I don't care if you burn us to the ground. Which goes all the way into later on, like, Aegon II got so pissed after the entire Dance with Dragons, which we'll talk about later in these episodes, because Stannis' daughter reads Dance with Dragons... He took uh, Baileron and Marxis and burned down the entire uh, faith militia inside a church because he was so pissed. Because the Gasseri were the only ones to basically say, screw you, we're going to do whatever we want. Almost like if you have, I don't want to say like against the president or anything, but if you have almost like that Star Wars like Rise of the Rebellion against the Empire... That's basically what the Gasseri were. Gotcha. Which is really good stuff. And, like, what's really cool, I thought you just mentioned there, too, is when he said that Shireen was reading A Dance with Dragons. It's it's so funny. I, like, I started noticing this, uh, and, like, I'll talk, I have actually have it written down here later, but in every single season, they throw a little, like, Easter egg to one of the names of the books. When Ramsay talks to Roose Bolton, he's like, we'll hit him hard, hit him fast, and leave a feast for the crows. 
There's that, that's, yeah. uh, there's a Feast mm-hmm. for Crows book right there, and then she's reading Dance of Dragons, and then, remember when Cersei in the first episode, not first episode, the first season, says, when you play a Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. So Game of Thrones, like, they always throw a little, like, little jab to, always. like, one of the books, which yeah. is really, really cool, so I noticed that, but I think this is a good place to kind of, you know, like, we'll wind down what happened here, because what really kind of finished off on this last episode, when now you're talking about the dragons and the Skyrim, Drogon returns, like, he goes up to her, like, in, in the top of the pyramid, and she gets to, like, see Drogon again for the first time in, in, in weeks. You know, yeah. and I think that's a really good place where we want to leave off on our first episode of what we're going to do throughout the remainder of the next couple of weeks to kind of really tackle what's how many big things happen in Season 5 here. And then what happens, you know, for the majority of Feast for Crows and a little bit into Dance for Dragons, this little first part. So, um, you know... I think that that's a perfect one, and you guys see, we've only really dissected the first two episodes, and that tells you how enormous and how big this has really gotten, right? You know, we're over two hours already just here talking to you guys, and we've only just yeah. really scratched the surface. Yeah, Dance with Dragons is so detailed. I mean, even in going to, as far as Danny seeing Drogon, you even see is Drogon really is debating, like, he still has that nature of, this is my mom, but I, I really almost don't trust her at this point. Yeah. For what she's gone and done to Rhaegar and Viserys. Because, like, yeah, that's what I was saying, like, the thing is, like, Drogon really doesn't even know what yet. He just goes back and doesn't see any of the other dragons, so, like, he kind of, like, goes away almost as, as quick as he comes. Well, to remember what I was saying in the last episode, how many minutes it took to bring him down, because you got to think almost like an animal, like, if it's your puppy or if it's your dog, like... I mean, they go through those times, like, say if you remember, you know, leaving your dog if you're going on vacation or something, almost how they feel when you come back. Yeah. Like, they... They, they get really antsy, they like, tear up some stuff, like, the, you know, maybe yeah. the couch is, like, torn up a little bit, they get into, like, some of the stuff they're not <laughs> right. supposed to, the trash can, you see. Yeah, you know. And you just, see that's how Drogon's doing. Yeah. Like, he almost... Acting out in a way, yeah. It shows in the show for a minute, too, like, you know, she comes within almost like an inch of Drogon and trying to reach out for him, and... He basically yeah. shuns her. Was like yeah. screw this. Yep. And like I told you in the last episode, he actually flees to the Dothraki Sea for a while because he just doesn't know what to do by nature. Um, and you know that's where Danny basically came from was the Dothraki. That's how she started her arc there. So beautiful symmetry. Point is, is you know, Dance with Dragons is so detailed. We had prepared, you know, we said this. Well, would we didn't even got up. into Dance with Dragons, bro. We still got the rest of Feast for Throws to go through. Like even even over the time we're done with season uh, five here of the TV series, we're only going to be about fifty pages in the Dance with right, Dragons yeah. before we got jump into season six. We kind of tackles the majority of the rest of Dance with Dragons, but man, like. It's really, it really is crazy the amount of detail and the fact that we took, you know, over two hours explaining two episodes. And again, episodes, we know yeah. that we jump around a little bit, we have a little debates, have our fun with it, and that's why you guys love the show because, you know, there's other things that go into it than just us telling you what happened. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just to kind of like end off with you guys here, again, thank you guys so much for, you know, really paying attention to us going through our tangents because I think that. You know, we we get we bring a little something different for everybody. We get yeah. a little bit of like some people like the fun debates that they maybe have amongst each other. Some people like the the accurate depictions of what happens step by step in the yeah. series and in the books. And other people, you know, might you know just like the visual representation or maybe the history that you bring into it sometimes or how we can relate it between people you may know in your real life who these characters could you know kind of be. So we do have a little bit of everything for everyone, and it's really been showing uh, that 
you guys appreciate what we've been doing. So again, all, all the thanks goes to you in the world. I, you know, we we do this because if we didn't, you know, if you guys weren't as you know proactive in in listening to us, we, you know, we wouldn't be successful in doing this, and we probably wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, you know. <laughs> I mean, we try to go to Cowboys every night. Oh, <laughs> we uh, still get, uh, still get, you know, exhausted <laughs> every now and then. But you know, especially with what's going on, uh, we really appreciate all the listeners out there, and you know, all your other countries. You know, we got Russia, we got India, we got Guam, we got uh, Kuwait now. You know, just keep expanding and. You know how many downloads we still have, and how many listeners. It, it really means a lot. You know, taking two guys over here, one from New York, one from Atlanta, living in Orlando, Florida, and we get to do what we love, which is bring you guys these universes yeah. and, and diving into that. And so exciting! Uh, so it means a lot. You're following us. Uh, so you want to sign us off here? Yeah, man. Uh, so again, guys, you know, we want to wish everybody the best in terms of health with what's going on out there. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, we hope all this passes as soon as possible. But uh, for now, you know, this has been. You know, the first part of three in season five, yeah, where we jumped into Feast for Crows, a little bit of Dance for Dragons. This has been a production by the Ridiculous Crew. Yeah, let's get a little Malice in the what, Chalice. One more Malice in the Chalice. Malice in the Chalice, Ridiculous Crew, has no rhymes. Alrighty, brother. This is uh, Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.